It's been said that luck is the intersection of preparation and opportunity. Welcome to the Australian Hunting Backcountry podcast, where we will focus on all things hunting in the backcountry, not just in Australia, but everywhere that backcountry hunting is possible. My name is Tobias, and if you're a hunter with no backpacking experience, or even an expert, I would like you to join me as we explore gear, places, and technologies hear lived experiences, different perspectives, and share the passion that people have for a hard-earned backpack hunt. I appreciate you being here with me as I try to increase the knowledge that will bring us better luck in the backcountry. I'm ready to rock. Are you you're okay? I'm, I'm ready. All right. Welcome to another episode of Australian Hunting Backcountry. And on this episode... Very excited to be uh, talking to someone across the other side of the world um, in America. Drew from Tricer. Drew, how are you? Doing good, man. How are you doing? Oh, good, thank you. Good. We're um, uh, we're doing our best with limited Wi-Fi and uh, and so forth. Uh, and there's a couple of uh, freezes in the video here and there. So um, uh, if you're you're listening in and and things go blank for a while, just give it a second because it'll. It'll probably start up again. So, Drew, you're um, you're located in California. Yeah, yeah, we're in San Diego, so right there, at the bottom of California. Uh, it's, it's the best part of the state, that's for sure. Yeah, right. So right there, kind of by the beach and bordering bordering uh, Tijuana and uh, right there, Mexico. Ah, okay, right yeah. So just a hop, skip, and a jump over the border. Yeah, yeah, we we go down all the time. Yeah, it's you know. 20 minutes from my house to go to Mexico. Oh, yeah. right. Wow. And so you're the um, the owner and creator of uh, the Tricer products? Yeah, that's that's all me. Yeah, we started, uh, I started pursuing Tricer in 2017, like with some ideas I was coming up with, um, some like trekking pole tripod type stuff and just really trying to chase this, um, make things lighter, mm-hmm. you know, in the back country, but still functional. And uh, in 2020, which was a great year for everyone, uh, we started Tricer. We started yeah. Tricer, I think, in February, and then uh, uh, the pandemic hit in March, and it was uh, it's been fun. Wow, that was yeah. that was a brave step to take at that uh, that time of the of everything that was going on. So, tell me about Drew. Who is who is Drew? How did how did you start? Because you're a you're a hunter yourself, so. Um, Yes. T- take me through Drew's story. Oh, geez. Who is Drew? Uh, first and foremost, I'm a Christian. Um, I'm a husband. I've been with my wife for, we've been married 17 years. We've been together 20 years next month, high school sweethearts. Um, so we've been together since we are 17. Mm-hmm. I have five five children. Mm-hmm. Um, my oldest is 17. They, my second one's 15. They both hunt. I have a 10-year-old boy. He hunts. My daughter is... 12 she does not hunt but she is the most incredible one of all my kids for sure she definitely has my heart mm-hmm. um and then we have a four-year-old son dylan so we have four bi- biological kids and one son that we adopted because we're foster parents so i'm heavy into uh foster care over here in america mm-hmm. and uh, i run foster ministries and we're foster parents so we had our son since he was two days old and we, after 1307 days he became a mile so that's yeah. That's me in a nutshell, right? I'm a family man, and yep. I said I'm in ministries a lot, and then I, I do a bunch of business stuff. Yeah. So um, 
I guess you want to know how I got into hunting. Is that where we're going? Yep. Yep. Take us there. How'd I get... So I did not grow up in a home that hunted at all, but I grew up in the nineties. Right. And, um, I don't know if you guys had the same kind of stuff, but in the mornings before school, we'd have stuff like, uh, Jim Shockey on, you know, all these canned hunts where they'd, they'd go out there and have the, the cheesy music and then they'd get 50 different kill shots and they sit over a feeder and shoot deer. Mm-hmm. And I would watch that every morning. I'd watch hunting, hunting on the outdoor channel, watch Bill dance fishing, you know, and I just, I wanted to hunt so bad. So I uh, went and got my own hunting license when I was 12. And I found one of my father's friends to take me to start going uh, bird hunting. So he got me into bird hunting at like uh, 12, 13 years old. Yeah. Um, you guys, you guys hunt dove, morning dove down there? Not really, no. So we have morning dove. So we, I started going dove hunting, quail hunting, pheasant hunting. And I did that up until probably high school. And then I started doing things that high school boys do in high school. and went away from hunting for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, got married and got back into bird hunting. I probably bird hunted for another five years until I was about oh, maybe 25, 28. And then I went on my first big game hunt. I always wanted to do it. I just didn't know how, right? Like I didn't, I don't, I don't know. How, getting into hunting is such a scary thing for people. Yeah. And uh, I always wanted to. I just never had, you know, didn't know where to start. So I ended up going with one of my friends on a guided uh, hog hunt. And man, this is probably, I think this is 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I put the crosshairs on that pig and killed that pig. And it just ruined my life. Like I never want to pick up a shotgun again and go hunt birds ever again. Yeah. All I want to do is find big game and go big game hunting. Um, so that kind of set me on the journey, right? So I've just, uh, once I once I killed that pig, I, I you know, I've killed some deer since then. I've killed some elk since then. I've killed some sheep. Um, I just find a way to get out and get it done, right? Um, I, by no means do I consider myself a great hunter. Uh, I definitely find a way to kill something every year or, or most years. Mm-hmm. But uh I am too dumb to quit, right? And I've just got out there and I've been figuring it out every year since. Yeah. I'm just every year I go on these events and I started to do it. And that just on top of the rifle, you know, the, picking the crosshairs, getting out and spending, you know, eight days away from the internet and away from phones and Twitter and Instagram and the news is, uh, it's, it's life changing. It's awesome. So I started doing that. And that's kind of what my passions become now is, uh, backcountry hunting. Um, I'm not really a fan of getting out of the truck and shooting something. Mm-hmm. I don't really like going on even guided hunts. I'm not a big fan of that unless it was something that I had to have a guide on. Yeah. I like the, the challenge. I like getting, you know, find going to an area I've never been to before and packing in and then playing that chess match with big game animals and trying to find them in optics and then, uh, and trying to put a, put a stock on them and ultimately trying to, to kill them, yeah. harvest them. Right. Yeah. That's the whole goal right? is to harvest an animal. Yeah. So, yeah. That's me in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, you guys have got um, a lot more opportunity uh, over there for for certain things. Um, over uh-huh. here, all of our our game species, in air quotes, are feral animals. So they're all introduced species. Um, we don't have any uh, any native big game species like you do with uh, you know the the elk and uh, deer and goats and sheep. So, um, but however, we don't have a tag system so if i wanted to go out tomorrow and shoot 20 deer uh, i can go and do that as long as i've got permission to to hunt there or, or i'm in the right place so you, okay. you you kind of win some and you lose some yeah and you guys uh 
I don't know why I'm so fascinated with this. You guys can hunt kangaroos too, yeah? Or they just changed some law where you can't or something? Or? Well, kangaroo, kangaroos are a native species. So with a permit, you can shoot kangaroos. Um, there okay. are landowners can get uh, a license, I think, to, um, to cull a certain number on their property, uh, but it's not open slather with them. So any, any native species are, are the ones that are usually protected. Uh, and any feral other ones that uh, we're usually encouraged to to um, hunt. And and you guys, I mean, you see kangaroos often, right? I mean, they're like normal. Yeah. Like our white-tailed. Yeah. It, like I feel like if I, it, obviously, if I saw a kangaroo, I would flip out and be like, this is crazy. <laughs> well, funnily enough, it, yeah, it depends on where you are. Um, but, uh, well, we have kangaroos and wallabies, so um, they're, they're similar looking, okay. um, but different species, apparently. Um, but the other day, I was driving down the road, I was in an inner city suburb, and literally there was a wallaby bouncing along the footpath beside the car, um, because okay. we were near a, a patch of bushland, so obviously that was where he lived and got a little lost or something. But um, you can drive through certain parts of the country, and there will be you'll get sick of seeing kangaroos. Um, there's that many of really? them. Really? Mm. Really? Yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating to me because we'd have to go to a zoo here to see one, and it'll be a big deal. Yeah, there are. I was telling somebody. Yeah, there are there are some parts that are quite notorious for um, kangaroos because they apparently they don't. Um, they're quite habitual on where they live, so they when when they're born into an area, that's basically where they stay. They don't they don't move on unless they um, uh, unless there's something that's that's really pushing them. So there's certain parts of the country where you can drive along the highway, and it's scattered with dead bodies of kangaroos because they bounce across the road in front of trucks and cars, and just get obliterated. So yeah, it depends it depends on where you are in the country. Yeah. So when you guys do backcountry hunting over there, is that is that something you're doing in uh, Australia, or do you have to go to like New Zealand for that stuff, or are you in Australia doing that? We do have some patches of uh, public land. Um, so there's Queen in Queensland, where I the places I hunt in Queensland all has to be on private property because we don't have access to public land up here. But in New South Wales and Victoria and Tasmania, there are parts there that a public land that we can hunt on different each state runs it differently a lot lot like you you know each state has their own sort of body that that governs how that uh, that's managed and dictated okay mm. okay and then you have the, the water buffalo too yeah over there yeah yep yeah. so there's water buffalo up in uh, northern territory and uh, some parts of queensland um that's a lot of the hunting there is done on uh, Aboriginal land, so you need to get um, the right permission. Uh, and I think a lot of the, the guides have sort of got a lot of that country tied up, so um, somebody's making money out of offering hunts up there. But yeah, if you if you know someone that knows someone, you can um, sometimes get some access. Yeah, that's I guess that's where we're really blessed over here in the states is you know we fought so hard for public lands and to, to be able to go and have these hunts that we have. Um, and you don't realize until you talk to someone like yourself and it's like all oh, this stuff's private and man like i was out hunting this morning even though in san diego our success rates are horrible it's one of the worst places to hunt for deer in america mm. but i was able i'm able to go out and go hunting you know in the morning on public land just go out park my truck and hike in and, and look for deer you know and that's that's really a, a freedom i think we take for granted over here 
and we do constantly we are constantly fighting for that too right they're always trying yeah. to take things away and change things on us and take hunting from us but uh yeah that is it's weird to hear that like you know you couldn't just go out and you know get a tag or go and try and find one of these water buffalo i guess if it's on aboriginal land that makes more sense to me but that's uh that's different for us for sure yeah yeah i was over there in 2019 and um i spent six weeks over there with a mate and we hunted in a few different states so we had to organize tags and um we we went um out with a guide in um, montana to chase elk and deer um and trying to get my head around you know we had this plan to drive around and and hunt in all these different states so i had to try and get my head around the the different legislation and application systems and um you know know, all Mm -hmm. of that in 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 a number of different states and it was just it was mind-boggling um so we ended up only selecting three states and just tried to concentrate on them and and get what we could but um, which states uh, so we hunted in Wyoming, Montana, and uh, Idaho. Idaho, yeah. Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. Did, where where at in Idaho? You don't have to tell me the unit, but uh, in Idaho, did you hunt in the Frank Church at all? No, no. Oh no, I, I can't remember what where we were in Idaho. To be honest, um, in Wyoming, we we got an over the counter um, antelope tag. And okay. we ended up having to, um, the unit we had had a bit of BLM on it and a lot of it was private. Mm-hmm. And we ended up um, going and doing some door knocking and actually getting permission to hunt on a big block of private land over there. And oh. yeah, I, I couldn't believe how friendly people were and how agreeable they were to letting us, you know, as soon as we came on, you know, started talking. They heard the accent. They were like, "Oh, you know, come on in, <laughs> no. you RCs. and and uh, yeah, people just couldn't be friendlier, you know. And and hunting was that was a big eye opener for us is how accepted hunting is as part of everyday everyday everything over there, um, mm-hmm. you know. And it, because over here, it, it depending on where you are, it can be a bit of a dirty word, and you sort of have to be careful who you who you let know that you you do hunt and, and you do use firearms because it's it's misunderstood more than anything but um over there we, you know we'd walk into a into a bar and and um order a meal and a, and a drink and of course they'd recognize that we're from australia and and then they'd start talking to us and and usually the first question is oh are you over here for the hunting and it was it was just open and accepted um even um, we went to rifle in Colorado, and um, you'd yeah. know you'd know that the, the restaurant there owned by uh, one of your your politicians, um, Lorena Bo- Bobbitt, um, and all the waitresses walk around with um, uh, pistols strapped to their hips, <laughs> and yeah. and it, yeah, no, that's not all, all through the town. There's signs on on lampposts saying "Hunters Welcome" and things like that. It was just which is completely yeah. foreign to us. Yeah, that's that's definitely not how it is in California, right? So we're the opposite. California is the liberal, just anti-gun, anti-hunting, mm. taking away. They took away our lion hunting. They're taking away bobcat hunting. They want to take everything away. Mm. Um, but yeah, and you go over to some of these other states and it's just like, wow, there's freedom here and they enjoy it and they understand it. It's just such a silly thing too because everyone eats meat 
you know, I'd much rather go out and harvest an animal. They don't see that, though. I, I think part of it is I think we've done a good job of trying to change that perspective in the industry, right? Like we're not just doing these videos now like I in the beginning of the 90s where it was just some guy, 15 different kill shots, and then you don't see any, anything after that. Mm. Um, yeah, when you go out and hunt, you realize how hard it is to harvest an animal, and then you harvest them, then you have to cut them up and then pack them out. And we, I packed a bull out eight miles yeah. a couple seasons ago. Mm. That bull is the best bull I ever had because it did that story and that misery I went through yeah. <laughs> to get them out. Yeah, You know, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. And people don't understand that. They just think, oh, you're just you're just going to go out there with your automatic machine gun and just plow down animals. Yeah. It's so easy. Hunting is not easy. <laughs> What's easy is going to the grocery store and picking up a piece of cellophane wrapped meat that came from a plant, you know, with 10,000 cows in it or, you know, a couple thousand pigs that's all crammed in there. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah, that's right. really is a beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No. And people seem to, um, seem to feel that, that, because they disconnect themselves from all of the uh, the nasty side of things, um, that they're somehow then, you know, holier than thou. Um, that seems to be a, a sort of emerging attitude now that, um, <clears throat> you know, green vehicles are, are, are a, a great example of that. Um, you know, they're driving an electric vehicle, so mm-hmm. so therefore, you know, they're they're actually doing the world a favour. They're healthy, you know, they're they're creating a healthy environment. And, uh, they're just just disconnecting themselves from the from the cold hard facts of of how that vehicle actually came to be, and then the the ongoing cost of it and uh, charging it and all of that sort of thing. So some people do do tend to stick their head in the ground and and just refuse to see the reality of it. Whereas, like you say, hunters are very much attached to every step along the way and and every part of the process and. We don't do it because it's cheaper or it's easy. It's it's in fact quite the opposite. It's a lot cheaper and easier to go to the supermarket and and buy your meat off the the butcher there. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a that I guess that dichotomy there going on where um where how could you say suffering I guess for the the, the benefit of it. Yeah, I guess we have a saying over here. It's uh, you can't fix stupid. Mm. <laughs> it's uh, people, you know, you they get their heads put in the and they just they're just great but i mean you can't tell me that i don't love any of them do right they've never seen a a wild deer in their lives mm. you know we're out there seeing them and loving them and i want to see elk thrive especially in america our our animal populations are as good as they are now because we self-police and we self-regulate we put in tax systems we want to see it happen teddy roosevelt in the early 1900s we went in and they were going out and slaughtering animals like crazy. And they said, no, we're not going to be able to do this anymore. We're not going to have them. Yeah. And now we, you know, we have Pittman Roberts and we tax 10% of all firearms and, and ammo goes to conservation. Mm. So all the conservation you're seeing here is done by hunters. But then you get these politicians that come in and start taking hunting away. It's really, it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. But no, we love, I mean, I, I love animals. I love everything about them. I don't want to go out there and, you know, I take, I, like I said, I have five kids. I don't have them out there just slaughtering animals and laughing about it. We go out and we make ethical shots. You know, we, we pack the meat out. We, we, we do the whole thing ourselves. I don't know if you, we process the game in our kitchen, mm-hmm. right? We, we package it. And then we sit down at the dinner table and, and we talk. We know what are we eating? Oh, we're eating Drew's pig or we're eating Isaac sheep or we're eating Drew's antelope. You know, my, mm-hmm. my kids kill everything. I'm just a guide now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Taking my kids out, I feel like every time. Yeah. You know, we're eating grandpa's out and we get to tell those stories right sit around and talk about that. there's something there's something primal about that 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 we're losing 
as a world that was very common a hundred years ago. This is like a new experiment, this whole not eating, catching meat or shooting animals and eating animals, right? I mean, it was very common. Mm -hmm. So there's something about, you know, sitting down with your boys and going on a hunt or with some men or like if me and you went into a deer camp together or uh, we would come out of that bonded together, right? Yeah. There's something manly about that, that we are created by God to do. We are created to hunt, right? We're carnivores. Yeah. And that's why it's so, something beautiful about it. People just don't get it. They yeah. don't understand it. They'd rather just sip their lattes and, you know, wear their hipster clothes and judge us. And it's like, you, know, you don't get it. Yeah. I bet you if I put, you in, put a rifle in your hands and put a gear in your crosshairs, once you pulled that trigger, you, you'd understand, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know what the answer is. And I think obviously some some people are just like, I look at my son and you probably saw this in your children too. Um, I, I introduced all my, I've got three children. I introduced them all to, um, to shooting and then into hunting. And we started off with small game and so forth. And one of my children absolutely did not want anything to do with it. She, uh, she shot a rabbit and then after that, that was it. Didn't want any more. And that was fine. I accepted that. And um, um, she was happy to just shoot, you know, do a bit of plinking with the 22 and so forth. Um, another child, she wanted to, to continue hunting small game, but didn't think she could do anything bigger. Didn't, didn't think she could actually pull the trigger on a deer. And that was fine. No problem with that whatsoever. And my son, he took to it like a duck to water. He just... Mm -hmm and now you know he's he's about to turn 14 and and now he wants to come backpack hunting with me and um you know just has just really fallen fallen into it so i think there's there's obviously something inside of us that some people have and some people just don't and those that don't this is the difference between hunters and non-hunters is that the hunters are willing to accept those people that don't want to hunt that, that doesn't affect us you know mm -hmm. if you you go over there you want to live your life in the way that you do that's fine that doesn't affect us whatsoever um and we won't judge you for that but from their side they're more than happy to judge us for what we're doing because they don't agree with it and so there, it's not a there's not a two-way street here of of an understanding it's it's uh, very much uh, we, we need to stop what you're doing because we don't agree with it yeah, it's it's weird times, and I've made it a point with Tricer um, to just to almost not care anymore, right? Like, there's this been this big, you know, political correctness thing over here in the states for the last, you know, 20 years, and everyone's going woke. And anymore with Tricer now, we're a hunting company, hmm. and we tell we say that we tell people that um, we tell them, hey, when you get my stuff, I want you to go out there, and I want you to use it to find animals, to harvest animals, and um, I think for so long we've been quiet trying to be, you know, oh, we just we just won't say anything. And we've given them so much leverage on us, mm. right? And I think people are really responding well to that with the Tricer. Like, hey, we're a hunting company, yep. right? Like we look at, um, we're so many tripod companies out there, photography, photography tripod companies. Mm. And everyone's using them for hunting. Yep. Put Gripping Grant on their page or talk about hunting. Yep. Even though they put their stuff into all the sporting goods stores, all the hunting stores, they would never in a million years support hunting. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, it's sad. And, you know, I think now we're at a place right now where it's getting, being well received by people just to uh, stand up for what we believe in, mm. you know, and talk about it. And I, and I have so many friends who don't hunt. Right. And I don't judge them. I, I, even when I hunt, we have, you know, we have political parties over here. 
some of my best hunting partners are totally different politically than me, hmm. right? But we still hunt together and we bond together. And we have a great time together, right? Because hmm. I don't care. All I can care about is if, if you're not going to quit on a hunt on me, when it starts freaking raining and pouring and it's wind's going 40 miles per hour, uh, you stay out. <laughs> you know, I don't care what your political views are because we're hunting together, right? That's what's beautiful about hunting. Yep. And it's just, yeah, I hate people trying to come into what I love and take it away from me because they don't understand yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Or they, they, it makes them feel uncomfortable from their house in the city. Right. And they're telling, you know, telling me what I, what I'm doing is wrong. And it's just, it's not true. It's something I love and it's, it's not wrong. Hmm. We've been doing it for, since the beginning of time, we've been hunting and doing these things, you know? Yeah. 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 Certainly um, being out in the bush with someone uh, on a hunting trip is a, is a great way to find out more about that person and, and, uh, either bond with them and it seems to be a lifelong bond or um, recognize that you don't actually mesh well with that person and, and you may never want to see them again. <laughs> yeah. Talk about with your son too. So like my, my boys, I've been dragging them out since they were little, but now they're grown, almost grown men, 15 and 17 and there's powerlifting, different weights. Um, so they backpack and, and what a, talk about a bonding experience with your kid getting them in the truck and, you know, driving an hour with them this morning at 4 a.m. And it's good to talk about whatever, talk about God, talk about girls, talk about what's, what are you thinking? What's going through your head right now? Mm. You know, they'd be out there with them hunting and, and sitting there and we're glassing and enduring things together. That really brings you together. I mean, nothing bonds you more than a, a really crappy hunt where you had, you got soaking wet and you had to carry an animal, you know, yeah. <laughs> back or, yep. you know, go through some, yeah, that it just brings you together. Or when you spend, I say, hunt, and on day six you finally get it done. I mean, that is a something a bond experience that you can't get anywhere else. I'm. Are you back? Yeah, I'm, I'm back. Yep. Um. Yeah. yeah sorry, you you sorry, cut out. Yeah, you cut out for a bit, about twenty seconds there. Um. And yeah. Look, and coming back to the the father son thing as well, and and I don't want to um I don't want to exclude any other relationships, father daughter, and that sort of thing, but. But in so, particular, father and that uh, father. Uh, and... I can see, I can hear you. There you go. All right. Okay, camera's off now. Are you good? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I got full bars over my father-in-law's house. He uh, he only buys the expensive stuff. So <laughs> uh, sometimes <laughs> got the, good uh, good one right here. Yeah, sometimes running the camera and so forth tends to uh, uh, tends to decrease the quality. Um. Yes. So what I was saying before was uh, about the, the father and son bonding that you're, you're referring to. And I, I don't want to, to discount any other relationships, um, you know, father, daughter or, or anything like that. But in terms of the, the channel of communication between a father and son, you know, the importance of that, um, because as men, you know, we're not great communicators. We're not good at sharing emotions. Um, we're not good about about talking about problems, so to be able to build that relationship with your son from a very young age and encourage an open channel of communication and give them assurance that they that anything they do say will be said in a safe space and and that sort of thing and can be dealt with, I think is is really important, particularly in in this day and age, even more so. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I, I think go ahead. Yeah, no, I was gonna just gonna say I don't want to start uh, talking about Jordan Peterson or anything like that, but um, you know, just from a a 
mental health point of view. Um, you know, young men are um, are really suffering in the in the, the mental health space at the moment. So anything we can do from an early age to um, to try and assist, I think it needs to be done. And hunting's a, a very big um, platform for us to to launch that from. Yeah, I mean. I'll probably go down the rabbit hole, but I mean, the world is trying to neuter our sons mm-hmm. and, and just take away masculinity. They're telling them these thoughts and feelings they have to be masculine or wrong. You need to be feminine. And that's the issue, right? They're, they're men. They like to have fun. They like to do dumb things. Mm-hmm. They like to hunt. They, they, they are men. I mean, you try to turn men into women, that's when you end up with all these problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the world's upside down in so many places right now. But uh, with my boys, again, I just... I don't play into that stuff. We homeschool our kids to keep them out of the public school system here in California. Yeah. But um, I, I want them to be men. I want them to be tough. I tell them, you know, you, you need to be strong. You need to be a man. You need to, you know, and, and now telling somebody man up is a bad thing. And that, that, that shouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah. You know, man up. You know, we're going to do something that really is really hard right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of being a man, right? Because then when you get into real world and you get a job or, you know, there's going to be days that are really hard. And if you just quit every single time, you're going to be a failure. Mm. And uh, I think that that's one of those things that hunting really helps with, too, is being out there and learning those things, learning learning to do hard things, learning to endure, un- be uncomfortable or be comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Like yep. we want our kids out there doing these things that um, are, is not sitting on the couch or laying in their bed playing video games or looking at social media. We want them out there, you know, mm. getting dirty and animals you know and that's that's important and uh i i have no apologies for that i apologize to no one that i'm raising men and i want them to be men and i want them to be leaders and i want them to be strong and uh that's just that's what i'm trying to do and i have a daughter and she is the apple of my eye and i love her to death and i take her on dates and if she wanted to hunt i would take she 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 shoots she shoots a bow Mm -hmm. but she doesn't want to hunt um I'm, i'm not saying that i'd treat her differently but I'm saying that I want my sons to be men mm. and that's, that's the bottom line. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we should live in a timer now where apparently that's a, it's almost like you're a bigot if you said that. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't know why. I mean, it's, it's just reality. I want something. Yeah. No, we're, we're being asked to, to suppress those, those natural emotions and, and desires and so forth nowadays. And, and the beauty about hunting too um, is that there's no participation trophy. You, you either, yeah, you either get the animal or you don't. So, yeah, I think that's what I love about hunting uh, most is that it's one of these things where really it's all on you, mm. right? It's it's all on you to it's it's a sequence of decisions you have to make, right? You're you're deciding where am I going to go? What, what am I gonna, where am I going to sit today? And then you got to find an animal, and you got to put a play together on how you're going to get that animal. Mm. And then so many times it just doesn't work out, right? I don't know what your success rates are over here, but you know, our success rates are a good success rate would be 25% over here yeah. on a, on a tag. Right. That means, that means three out of four guys aren't getting an animal. Right. In San Diego, where I live, the archery success rate is 2%. That's what I'm archery hunting this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all on me. That's a great thing. I don't have to rely on anybody else to do it. It's all on me trying to find a deer and, and get it done. And it's just, there's something so challenging about that. It's mm. just so beautiful. I love it. Yeah. I do remember hearing somebody say, I think it was in Colorado, that the success rate on elk for for uh, tags, archery tags, was less than 10%. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Because they sell so many dang tags over there. 
that's all kind of changing now too. There's just so many people hunting after COVID. They're pulling it back. But yeah, no, it's hard. Mm. They, what is it? Uh, the top 10% of guys kill 90% of the animals, yeah. right? Yep. And, um, really, that's kind of where we got into the backcountry stuff. And, and going deeper, it's just learning that just driving around in your truck looking for an animal, you might get successful every three to four years, five years. But if you are willing to go farther than anybody else, go a few few canyons over, a few miles in, your chances of success go a lot, go up a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, then you got to bring that animal out of there, which is miserable, you know. But but uh, yeah, it's uh, hunting's hard, yeah. and it's it's on you to get it done. Yeah. You can't. No one. I can't say, uh, hey Tobias, uh, go shoot that elk for me, and then I'll I'll go buy it. You know, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah, and like you say, it's something that just it just gets inside you. You know, like when you you pulled that trigger on that hog, uh, something just woke up inside you, and and um, then it's with you for life, and it just seems to keep growing. It's just a fire that just keeps growing the more you feed it. Mm-hmm. So, Tricer then obviously products very much designed for uh, the backcountry uh, hunter and. Um, that's mm-hmm. that's where that's where my passion lies as well, and and obviously that's the, you know, the ethos of the of the podcast, and what I'm uh, I'm gearing it towards is looking at experiences and, and equipment and knowledge that um, that can help everyone do better in the backcountry, and part of that is is uh, decreasing the weight that we're carrying because um, uh, the less we've got to carry the the less pain there is and, and then potentially the more we can carry out. Mm-hmm. So that seems to be the, um, I guess, the, the birth for you for, uh, for Tricer. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, a, it's a combo, right? It's a, it's a birth of I want to have something that's ultra light, but I also want to be stable. And that's what I really, I've kind of knocked out of the park this last year with these new tripods, the, the AD, the BC, and then the Panhead, the LP. Mm-hmm. We've created something that is super light, right? Like our panhead weighs four and a half ounces, but it has a stability of the 16 ounce, like VA5 panheads people running for years. Yeah. Right, so you can put a big 85 millimeter spotter on there and it'll handle it, you know, no problem. So yeah, there's a balance there, right? A lot of times we want to go ultra, ultra light. I want the skinniest, smallest tripod, but if you're on a hunt and the winds are, uh, you know, 20 miles per hour, you know, that tripod's going to be shaking everywhere. You're not going to find animals. Yeah. So that's really what I've been chasing with Tricer, trying to find this balance of ultralight and ultra stable. And I, I think we've really knocked it out of the park. I mean, right now, I would wager to say when it comes to hunting tripods in the States, we are by far the biggest seller right now. I mean, people are just buying them. I can't keep them in stock. Those pan heads are just, it's unreal. Yeah. I, I brought 500 in two weeks ago. They're already gone. Right. So everybody ordering this weekend is going to be waiting a little bit for them. <laughs> it's just, we've gone through thousands of those things this year because they just work it's that's actually something uh we've been so focused on using not focused on i guess people have been using photography gear for years yeah it's the only thing available right and then with tricer we said well we're going to just build stuff made for hunters not photographers and photographers can use it sure but it's built for hunters and we took things out that were in the photography world and changed it and made it better um so people can hunt with it and have a good opportunity, a good uh, experience. Um, yeah, we've got the the new tripods, the AD and the BC are inverted legs. Mm-hmm. So if you look at a, a tripod, a standard tripod, when you want to go ultra light, um, 
you go skinny, skinny legs, right? So a standard tripod goes with the legs going down. So you have the fat leg on the top and then it gets skinnier as it goes all the way to the ground, right? And you get down to like a three-eighths leg at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of um, strength there. It's, you push on, push on it, it's going to flex on you. And any of that flex and movements where you're going to get, uh, you know, shake in your optics, you're not going to find things. So we made the, the AD and the BC with inverted legs, meaning the top leg is seven-eighths of an inch, which is still fatter than most tripods. And then the next leg going down is one inch and the leg after that is inch and an eighth. So we have these tripods now where it just makes sense to have the fattest leg on the ground, not the skinniest leg. Mm-hmm. And they are just strong as can be. So our BC tripod, which is our, um, like our sitting tripod yep. weighs 27 ounces, but I mean, you could, it's rated for 26 pounds. Um, you could push it's rock solid. And then our 80, which are standing models, same exact design, just a little bit longer legs, uh, longer center column. It weighs only 33 ounces, you know, but it's, you know, you could put a, a 20, you know, 20 pound rifle on and have no problems. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's this balance trying to find ultra light and ultra stable. There's a lot of guys going out right now. There's this big push in the industry. They're just taking, you know, everyone's just rebranding all these photography tripods and bringing them to the States and putting their company name on them. But uh, I don't want to call them, I don't want to call them garbage, but they're just not hunting tripods. They're photo tripods. And we've just taken that and turned it upside down literally and, and focused on making something better and we we definitely built a better mousetrap with tricer with the the new tripods the pan heads the the bino adapter and we've got some just really cool stuff coming out um later on this year and in the spring just some neat stuff's gonna blow people's minds for built for hunters yep yep just um because we're we're uh obviously running a different system to you guys i'll just highlight i've just done a quick google search uh 27 ounces is about 750 grams and 33 ounces is about 935 grams so both of those weights you gave us then for those tripods are under a kilo well under a kilo for the bc mm-hmm. yeah and and they're still stable right that's the biggest thing is, is i could get that light with a different style tripod but it wouldn't be stable mm. so there's this balance where you want to find you don't want to always be it's like um i guess putting your perspective like you could, you're going on a hunt and you want to go ultra light, so you bring a tarp. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going to be in bad weather, it's even though you're ultra light, it's probably not the best system for that, right? Yeah, yeah. So you got to try and find the balance of what's going to work best. You, you don't want to always just be the lightest if it's not going to work. Yeah. So if you can go find a, a 19 ounce tripod, but it, it's you know the legs are a quarter inch diameter, mm. work for your your spotting scope. It's mm. have flex to it, and you don't want that. You want to have something that's stable. Stability is. Is king, right? Mm. Stability is king when you're when you're glassing, and I mean that's what I do, right? I glass, so yeah. I spend, on average, if I'm hunting coos deer, I'll be glassing ten hours a day, yeah. over here. We I live right by Arizona, so I mean I just glass, glass, glass. So I want to make sure that I am, not only ultra light getting in there, but when I start glassing, incredibly stable. It's like because at the end of the day, what matters is me finding that animal yeah. most, yeah. right? That's what we're doing it for. And particularly coos deer because they're they're quite a small animal, um, and even not just with coos deer, but with a lot of deer, you know, you're looking, you're not looking for a whole animal. You're looking for a little bit of movement or part of an animal. You mm-hmm. know, whether it's a an antler sticking up through some some bushes or some tall grass or you know an ear flickering or you know the the white spot on their bum or something like that. You, 
So having that stability is is really important in that regard because it's you're not looking for a big brown or grey object standing out in in something and then assessing their antlers. You've got to find the animal first. Yeah, I just put a video on my uh, YouTube yesterday, like ten steps to glassing, and that's one of them uh, is picking the animals and picking it apart. Mm. And when I tell people when you're glassing, you're not looking for a deer. Mm. You're looking for something that doesn't fit in the picture, right? So you're looking at a bush. What what doesn't fit in there? Because you're not going to see the whole deer. You might see an ear flick. Mm. You might see a little tail flick. Uh, an e, you know, uh, a little bit of you know, an, a brow tine, and you just got to sit there and look at that. You know, especially with coos deer, they are those are by far my favorite deer to hunt. I mean, mm. they are ninety pounds. They call them the gray ghost for a reason. Yeah. And those, I swear, to you, those deer disappear. I mean, you'll 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 see one going to a bush. And I can't tell you how many times I've blown stocks on them because I'm like they had to have left. Mm. And we wait on them for three hours, and then you get impatient. All of a sudden, the deer busts and leaves. You know. Yeah. It's just like they are, you can see them lay down and then you can't see them anymore, right? So when you're trying to find those things, you've got to be super stable, big glass, right? I run 15s. That's kind of my go-to glass is the 15 power Swarovskis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a big, uh, I have spotters too, um, but on like for all day glassing, I'm running the 15s on there looking for deer, looking for coos. And then if I find something, then I'll throw a spotter on to confirm, right? Yep. But I never use a spotter as my glassing, uh, my all-time glassing thing. It's just the, the binos are just so nice. Yeah. But I hope that makes sense. Yep. Everything's a compromise too uh, with backcountry hunting. So weight, yeah. comfort, um, you know, even flavor, uh, depending on the food and, and so forth, and, and safety as well, uh, depending on the on the item. So... Yeah, what you're coming back to what you're saying before about the the balance between stability and weight. You know, you can you can go and, and buy a, a very large, uh, you know, video tripod, um, and it's going mm-hmm. to be very heavy, but it's going to be incredibly stable, and you will probably get um, you know better better quality viewing off that tripod. But the compromise is the the extra weight, so. There's obviously a point of diminishing return with the the yep. weight and stability, and like you say, some of those uh, the the lightweight camera tripods, um, there's no way they're going to be as stable when you're trying to sit out in the open with a, you know a large spotting scope on and a bit of wind and uh, all of those sort of factors coming into play. And and you yourself, you know, you're sitting there in the cold trying to stay warm and um, so forth. So, yeah, anything I guess that um, that can be done to to find that particular point where you're going to get a quality product that's going to work for you, and you're not going to uh, be sacrificing um, too much in the way of weight, um, is uh, obviously where where you know you've sort of hit the the mark. Yeah, for sure. And that's what we that's what we were trying to do, right? With tracers, we were trying to find the perfect balance, right? I think we knocked it out of the park. I mean, the, the proof's in the pudding with, you know, you look at our views are through the roof. People were just going crazy. The biggest names in hunting now are running our stuff because we kind of just found that balance of ultralight but stable. Mm. Like, it, you got it. It's, it's important. So many guys are like, how, how wide is it? How wide is it yeah. light? But the more important thing is that it's stable, right? Because if you go eight to, eight to nine pound rifle, you know, light rifle will go 
do you guys do? How do you guys do that? Or you don't do yards, huh? Sorry, Mike, you you broke up a bit. Then say that part again. Yeah. Uh, you guys don't do yards, right? What do you guys do over there for for shooting? We're meters. Distance. Yeah, meters. So ninety. You got to shoot an animal at five hundred meters across the. Yep. Yeah. So call it five hundred meters. You try and do that with a six pound rifle. Good luck. Hmm. You know, you save three pounds, but now you now when the when it comes down to the killing, you're and you're all over the place. Hmm. You know, so there's there's a balance between ultra light and uh, and something that is functional, hmm. and also a balance between ultra light and comfort. Right? Like there's just you got to pick what works for you. Everyone's kid is different, right? So I've been backpacking for so long now, and um, I, I know what I like, right? So my kid is different than your kid. I know what I need for comfort. Like I carry a pillow. Yeah. I love having a pillow, <laughs> you know? Um, there's certain things like uh, I, I do TP tents, but I kind of prefer a floored tent. So yeah. it might weigh, weigh a pound more, but I know that when I'm in a floored tent and I have the vestibule, it's just sometimes it's just a better situation. I've been in situations where my buddies were in teepees and they were out in the middle in a rainstorm at night because the teepee lifted and I was just laying in my Hillenburg and having a great night's sleep, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Um, it's all balanced. You got to pick what works for you, right? Like same thing when it comes to food, right? Do you want to go out there and go completely stoveless and just do uh, bars and those kind of things and freeze dried stuff like that? Um, you could do that and save some weight, mm. right? But for me, when I'm on an eight-day hunt, I really want to come back and turn my jet boil on and eat a warm mountain house. Mm-hmm. It, it makes you feel comfortable. So there's certain things you got to pick. You know, like I'm not one of these ultralight Nazis where I have to be the lightest possible because I, I know that when I'm on a you know eight-day hunt, I want to have some comforts there as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And you kind of just refine your kit here and there, what you need and what you don't need, and you get it down to this really good you know size and weight. I think I'm. I probably run on my kit uh, around 30 pounds for all my stuff. That's before optics and water and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, maybe a little less. Depends on where I am. 33 depends on if it's how cold it's going to be. But I mean, I'm still ultra light. But uh, I just make sure things are functional too, more than just being lightweight. You know. Yeah, and everybody's got their own personal point of of tolerance for discomfort. Yeah. So. Some people are, are happier to spend the night under a tarp, um, you know, and, and have to get out in the middle of the night and dig a trench around their tarp because the water's running in underneath them and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, whereas I'm not. So I, I'm like yeah. you. I, I've got a Hilleberg Acto um, and I, I like that because, it, because of the shelter that it gives me because it's security. Um, and I know that if, you know, a bad storm comes through with a heap of wind, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Uh, might be, might not be the greatest sleep, uh, you know, that night, but at least I'm going to be, uh, relatively warm and dry still at the, you know, when the sun comes up in the morning. Yeah. But other people, they, they want to sleep in a teepee or under, the, under a tarp, then that's, that's the, the sacrifice that they're prepared to make for, for that weight saving. But yeah, if- I, uh. I have like a, a thing for tents. So I love tents. Mm. So uh, I have the teepees, I have the tarps and I have two Hillenburgers right now. I have like the Namaj. It's like a heavier one for going to Alaska and stuff like that. Yep. Um, yep. You know, four season. And then I have, I think it's the Anyon. Uh, yeah. I think it's the Anyon. It's a two person with a, um, a yeah. vestibule. And that tent is just incredible. Yeah. Is that- and I, I love it. That's the I, I've done a lot of research on Hilleberg. I'm a big fan of them too. But the the onion is that the one? Is a single 
pole, but it's two person. Yes, yeah. on the end, I believe. I, I'm hope I'm not. Or maybe it's, I have the nom. Maybe it's the namage. I have the namage, and then I I have to look it up. But um, I just love their tents. They make such great tents. Mm. And I'm trying a few more this year. I'm trying to. Um, I got their kuyus kuyu tent to try out this year on one of my hunts and mm-hmm. i have a thing for tents I, I like it uh but yeah there's something about the hillenbergs it's have those large vestibules and keep all your gear in there yep. you're saying you're running the acto yeah yeah the little one man yeah i, I want the one man i want to pick that tent up because even their their one mans have space in them right mm. like my two-person tent has space for two people where if you go buy a two-person uh ultralight tent from rei or wherever you you know mm. uh they're not two-person tents. It's no. a one-person tent. Yeah, yeah. It, it may be two-person tent with my wife, but I don't want to be holding my buddy like that you know, yeah, in a tent. Yeah. Just... No, well, the, the Acto is definitely a one-person tent. Um, I, I doubt very much you would get two people in there comfortably, even with your wife. Yeah. But there's there's enough room still, you know, to put a bit of gear around you, like bring your boots in at night and put your rifle in there and, and food and, and whatever else. Uh, I mean, you know... We, we don't have bears over here, so we, we can sleep with our food in the tent. We don't have to worry about that. But um, the other thing as well about um, over here uh, is uh, we've got a lot of creatures out there that um, have, um, are more than capable of killing you. Um, and so for me, I prefer to have the security of a tent so that I don't end up having to share my bed with a, uh, a poisonous spider or, or a venomous aggressive snake either. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I bet um, we don't have we have rattlesnakes over here, but we don't have uh, you guys have some gnarly stuff. Mm. Again, my my whole experience of Australia is just watching. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Steve, Steve Irwin in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, so you guys kind of got stereotyped pretty heavy from Steve Irwin. But that's my whole experience with Australia is just seeing that guy just bring out some wicked animals off that place. Yeah. Spiders and snakes. I mean, they are just crocodiles it's pretty you got some gnarly stuff over there for sure we do have some lions over here and we do have the grizzlies but uh you guys definitely have a lot of stuff that wants to kill you over there that's for sure yeah but having said that we don't have any land-based apex predators like uh you know your mountain lions and and bears so uh, Mm -hmm. all of our sort of really dangerous apex predators are water-based basically so you got crocodiles and, and sharks um, but like I said, there, there's still a lot of other things out there that um, that certainly kill you and, and make you very sick. So every every yeah. trip can be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, yeah. That tent that tent that I have is the Onion too. So I just looked it up so I could make sure I was saying the right thing. But yeah, the uh, Onion. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a tent. Yeah. And I think um, I, I think when I bring my son into into the backpacking, I think that's the one that I was looking at getting um, for the two of us to share. I recommend the uh, the GT too because I have the one that's not the GT, mm. and the GT has the larger vestibule in the front, yeah. and you can just put all your gear in there. Because yeah, the one without the the larger vestibule is just I picked it up used on a backcountry site over here, but um, it's great for one person. It's great for two people fitting inside, but it's just hard to get all the gear in that vestibule. Mm. Those those GT vestibules are just they're huge. Yeah. you know they're freestanding. They're just great. So I recommend the GT on that for sure. If you yeah. get it. Yeah, and there's, there's not much weight penalty either to get all that extra room too. No, and those, I mean, they are, I mean, in perspective, I mean, they are kind of heavy, right? So like my Onion's going to be a lot heavier than some of these uh, Tiger Wall tents, you know, but 
I guarantee you, like I was out on a deer opening season, uh, opening day of deer last year in San Diego. It ended up being 50 mile per hour wind sustained mm. for all night, <laughs> you know, mm. and I was dry as dry as can be. And it was raining and it was, it was great. It was a little loud, but I was golden, right? You can go get the lightest tent, but you're out on a hunt and that thing rips apart on you in the middle of the night and you're soaking wet. That's life or death sometimes, right? Yeah. yeah. So for me, the, the the comfort of being dry in a tent is something that I carry maybe a few more pounds than most. Mm. Um, and I do do the TPs too. I have some of the uh, seek outside TPs. I'll do those on hunts and I, I do like them. Uh, I like being able to cook inside of them, but uh, they're just dirty, right? You're on the dirt yeah. you know, versus uh, you have a floored tent. There's just something nice about it. And you guys have all the creepy crawlers over there too, I guess, like you were saying. So I don't know how much you want to be sleeping in a teepee on the ground over there. Yeah, no, that, um, that's right. Yeah, I've, I've tried it before. I've tried a tarp and, and sharing my bed with, because it's not just, you know, dangerous things. There's there's ants and, you know, yeah. cockroaches and bugs and, you know, all sorts of stuff over here. And just, they all seem to gravitate towards uh, your, your sleeping bag and so forth. So, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and again, that's, are, you in a, are you in a sleeping bag? Are you, are you in a bag or are you in a, uh, a quilt? No, I'm I'm in a sleeping bag. I haven't. Okay. I've I've looked at quilts and um, I just I haven't it. been able to. Yeah, to bring myself to pull the trigger on one. Yeah, I'm not not brave enough. Yeah, I, I I love I love the quilts. I've got three of them now. I just they're just uh, they're enlightened equipment mm -hmm. is what I run, mm -hmm. um, and they just make some sweet gear. I, I you can't tell I love gear, right? So I started a hunting company. <laughs> I love gear. I love and i love tweaking on stuff and trying different things and yeah the quilts for me are great because i just i roll a lot in my sleep mm -hmm. like i spin all night long um and the quilt you could kick your leg out the side of it you're not tied in there where i find myself in a sleeping bag i kind of find myself twisting up you know like a wet rag yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like twisted and the quilt like you have a lot more freedom to move around yeah there. And, uh, what i, what I did great. like about the quilts was that they cinched onto your your mat and so you yeah. didn't you know, or you were less likely to, to slide off your mat in the middle of the night and end up on the, the cold, hard ground and, you know, find the, find the, a puddle of water or something that, that found its way into your tent. Um, but I ended up going with a um, Thermarest sleeping bag. Okay. And it's got some straps yeah. on the back of it, so it actually um, attaches to your, your sleeping mat. And yeah. I'm a back sleeper. I don't move around much at night. So but having having that uh attached to your mat um has really improved my uh, the quality of of a sleep um so i'm i'm sticking with that at the moment um but yeah that was one of the reasons why i was looking at the the quilts was because of those straps that they use to hold it down yeah i uh use thermarest pads they are the best by far I run like the x therm mm -hmm. and then the yellow one as well I what that one's called but i whenever i try and switch to a different pad it pops yeah i think the, I've been the yellow are just the Yellow Neo Air and then the, the gray the Neo Air, the yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I've got a few of those for the kids and then the X Therm. And uh, I've been running X Therm now. I don't even know how many hundreds of nights I've had on it with not one leak. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it's incredible. It's hot, though. I mean, it's, if you're going to be out anything warmer than 50, it definitely cooks you. It has, like, foil in it that reflects your heat back up into you. Mm, mm. It's a warm pad, but it's great when you're out, you know. Ideally, when we're hunting over here, um, you guys are in Celsius. I'm sorry. We're looking to be around, uh, you know, 30 to 50 degrees, you know, 20 to 20 to 40 degrees. That's a great temperature range for us over here. And uh, 
it's going to be colder at night, you know, and might drop down into the teens. And those those extern pads have just been incredible for me. Yeah. I love them. Yep. What I do know about um, Fahrenheit is that 32 is zero degrees Fahrenheit. So yes, any, anything under 32 is getting really cold uh, and certainly down. And it's about 1.8. I think roughly the conversion is about 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit is equivalent to, to one degree Celsius. So, okay, are you yeah. are you guys? I mean, do you guys have snow over there? We do in some parts of the country. Yeah, okay. De definitely down in in Victoria, where um, we have the the sort of largest opportunity and, and parcels of, of public land. Um, that definitely okay. gets that. That's where our snow fields are, and and uh, um, yeah, the highest sort of part of Australia is is down that way. So that's that's where we. But having said that, you know, it, it's not unheard of for it to, to snow elsewhere but certainly nothing like you guys had like i know when i was in montana we were there in um uh, october and november and uh, i was in montana and you know we were post holing through snow that was almost up to our waist um wow and that was that was just to get to to, to the glassing knob um uh, that we wanted to yeah, get to that day but one of the guides there for sure yeah. one of the guides there we were talking about going to this other place and and they were talking about this snow drift and he said yeah yeah we can't we can't ride up there could you lose your horse and uh, it just didn't compute with me I'm, i think i said to him what do you mean you lose your horse and he said the, the horse will fall into the snow and and we won't be able to get it out oh wow i said how how deep is this snow and he said oh well you know most of the time it, it's about 15 foot deep but at the moment, uh, we've had a lot of snow, and it, you know, it could be could be anywhere up to thirty feet deep. Oh wow! Yeah. And this year was worse. This year we've had one of the worst kill-offs we've had in like hundred years. Mm, yeah, I've, just, I've heard the snow's been horrible. Yeah, yeah. Heard, heard the mule deal uh, suffered uh, with winter die-off this year quite a, quite badly. Yeah, mule deer, antelope. <clears throat> I mean, I I was supposed to draw a tag over in um, Colorado. And it was 100% draw odds, and I didn't get the tag because they just cut the tags. Yeah. Because they're just they're not they're just cutting the hunts. There's, it's mule deer are going to be, and the, who's to say we're not going to have another winter just like it? You know, a few years in a row. Mm -hmm. You know, it could happen again. So that's that's a hard thing. Is hopefully it doesn't happen again. If we could if we get two or three of those strung together, mule deer are going to be uh, really hurting for a while. Mm -hmm. Some units had 100% mortality or something. It, it was wow. it was yeah. devastating. Yeah. Especially in Wyoming. But um, you know, you guys have got. Um, like I said, a very different system where you, you each state employs their own wildlife biologists and they uh, they survey the the herd and they take things like that into account. So it really is, you know, trying to be a, a very sustainable system for the long term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, that's another thing too is trying to navigate all that, all these different states. Like you said, you know, I apply in I think eight or nine states a year every year. Mm -hmm. And every one of them is a little bit different. Everyone manages it differently. Every unit's managed. Some units are managed for trophy potential. Mm. But some units are managed for opportunity. Um, it's just every state is different. And uh, some of these states do really well. And some of these states, like California, do terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And managing game. Mm. I mean, where I, where I live in San Diego, one, we don't, we're not allowed to kill lions. So there's just abundant lions. Um, they give out 3,000 tags for San Diego County, which is, you know, not a big area. And, and they uh, have a month long season during the rut. Mm. <laughs> just, they don't give the deer a chance to grow or get bigger. We don't do any kind of management with water, but if you go somewhere like Arizona, 
is very well managed, mm-hmm. right? They have, they're growing some of the biggest deer in the world. Yeah. They're also putting in artificial water and doing things to help those deer, and they, they manage them like a resource. Where California kind of has this hands-off approach, like, oh, we want things to go back the way it was. Well, the problem is it's never going to go back to the way it was, no, no, right? I mean, right. We've, we've built houses everywhere, and they're just idiots. Mm. But, you know. Yeah, some of these states manage really well and some of these states don't over here. Mm, well, yeah, we've got issues over here and you, you may have heard of this uh, in New Zealand years ago. Um, because they are all feral animals, uh, the government then has a responsibility or they feel they have a responsibility to um, essentially, I guess, wipe them off the face of the, of the countryside. So we have uh, helicopter culls that go on uh, in the national park and um, you know they did something similar years ago with the tar in New Zealand where they they, uh, they had a particular politician at that time that decided that um, you know they were going to uh, remove all the tar from the, the wilderness of New Zealand so yeah they our government seems to sort of uh, not be ready to accept that the animals are a resource and that they are something that um, could we could all benefit from them being managed better rather than taking a, a zero tolerance approach. Yeah, they were actually flying over and just shooting them and leaving them, weren't they? Oh, yeah. Yep. They, that's all they do. They, there's no meat recovery. There's there's nothing. It's just fly that's over and shoot them. Uh, and in some areas, they'll aerial drop poison as well. So, you know, obviously the, the problem with poison is uh, it's broad spectrum. So it doesn't just um, target the yeah. species that they're after. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, uh, I don't know, weird times. Mm. Yeah, we deal with that here, right, with the lions, right? So the government said, you know, they always pick these animals. In the 90s, right after Lion King came out, <laughs> they put a boat in to ban lion hunting in Amer- in California. So they banned lion hunting. We were killing around 400 lions a year. Hunters were. Yeah. And now the government kills around 400 lions a year. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. Rather than using uh, hunters to manage the resource, the government's doing the same thing, but no one knows about it, right? They, no one knows that we're, we're shooting lions. They yeah. just turn a, turn a blind eye to it over here, you know, but we're still doing it. Yeah, yeah it's um, hunters. They should be using hunters to manage these resources and, and, and you know, harvest animals. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a better better method than, and I, for me, I don't know what, what the government's like over there, but for me, it's like the less, least amount of government, the better. You know, yeah, that's right. Every time they get involved, they find a way to screw it up. Yeah, that's right. Whatever, yeah. They're, whatever they're doing. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> ever said. Yeah, nobody <laughs> ever said govern me harder. No, no. But they all want. They want more and more power, right? It's. It's. I don't think. I don't think it matters what country you're in or what political system you're in. These guys just want more and more power. And they feel like they need to make up rules just to make themselves feel good about themselves. On today's Friends of the Podcast segment, I'd like to welcome uh, a, a small family business, uh, Jeff and Kath Raymond from Down Under Outdoors. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. Thank you. Now, Jeff, um, I, I did meet you some months ago and your wife at the uh, Wild Deer Expo down in Victoria and uh, had a, a bit of a chat to you then and, and a look at some of the products you were selling. And essentially, there's, there's really four products that we're sort of interested in that, that would be, um, I mean, you're a hunter yourself, so obviously you've, you've picked these products because you found that there was a, a need for them in the market. 
Uh, yes, that's right. We um, all the products are things that we we knew our need well and designed what we believe to be um, wonderfully suitable for that. Mm. And um, that's sort of where we started, and and we've grown into some other products as well. But these ones are specifically related to the the hunting area. Yeah, yeah. So. Being a hunter yourself, obviously you um, recognise the importance of, of camouflage and concealment. So the first products I guess we'll get you to talk about are the uh, the face mask, the mesh and the fleece face mask. Uh, yes, I've um, been hunting Samba for about 40 years, uh, mostly stalking originally. Uh, in later years, we've been doing a lot of sit and wait, particularly with my wife who's taken up hunting late in life. She's... Mm-hmm. Um, done extremely well and so she regularly comes with me but it suits her a lot better to do the sit and wait Mm. technique because a bit of arthritis in her knees Mm -hmm. and so I've sort of uh, been doing that and we also um, do quite a lot of deer culling as as well Mm -hmm. for different farm farm owners helping them out and also some government uh, property as well and in all those scenarios with the sit and wait all the stalking um, personally, I've found it extremely helpful to have camouflage concealment, not only <clears throat> in my clothing, but on my face and my hands. And you've only got to look at a hunter in the bush and see how much their face can stand out. Yep. And so that's an area we've chosen to offer a product. Um, our, our mesh one has been designed so that you you virtually don't know you're wearing it. So you can wear it all day with maximum comfort it's uh quite short but like we've tried to keep the length so it gives you the concealment Mm -hmm. but um but not have it long and dangling and in in the way um if it's quite windy it will blow around a little bit on your face but it doesn't block your view it just sort of is just flopping around in the breeze um below your eyes it has a it's designed so that you can wear whatever your favourite cap is or or hat on top, so it's just got a comfortable headband principle with Velcro with a large adjustment to suit a big range in head sizes up to super big, it'll still fit, and it'll fit um, kids as well. So it's a pretty big range. Mm-hmm. And it's um, got a comfortable wire that you can mould to whatever style you want around your eyes some people want sort of like a big opening and have it hanging out away from the face others keep it nice and snug so it's only your eyes that you can see you can also wear glasses with it you just sort of mold to wire so it's away from your temples a bit so that you can fit your mar- uh, your glasses in without them yeah okay. causing any interference yep yeah yep that, that's something that's relevant for me because unfortunately my eyes have deteriorated over the years so i'm forced to wear glasses now Yes, it is. The biggest question always with glasses is, does it make your glasses fog up? Mm-hmm. Um, in some situations, your glasses are going to fog up anyway, mm-hmm. and having the mask probably contributes a little bit to that. But we found the mesh mask in particular because it's so easy to breathe through and it's so light that it doesn't um, doesn't seem to cause any extra issues there mm-hmm. um we also have the the fleece mask which is 
um, a little bit more prone to fogging with glasses because of your body heat from underneath. And when I've been using that and I wear glasses as well, in some situations I wear glasses, and in those situations I just uh, actually pull the mask under my nose because I can have the wire bent under my nose instead of on the bridge of my nose. And with it under my nose, I don't have any fogging from it at all because my air's breathing out. But we do have on the fleece ones, uh, we do have where your mouth goes, there is a a mesh to um, enable breathing through it more easily. And if you're not wearing glasses, then which is probably the majority of people hunting aren't, especially lots of younger people. Mm. Um, So there's a mouthpiece or a a hole which is covered in mesh so you can breathe through it very comfortably. And over the ears on the fleece one, we've also got a large mesh area so that your hearing's not um, disadvantaged in any way whatsoever. Mm. Uh, From my perspective, if I can't hear, then I feel terribly disadvantaged and I would never wear something with without having holes cut out. But in this case, it's done intentionally from the start to maximise still being able to hear, still being able to see, um, but to have an amazing difference in warmth. Mm. Uh, Sometimes when you're hunting, rather than have, um, you know, a big warm jacket in your backpack, which takes up a whole lot of room and adds a whole lot of weight, just by having um, the fleece mask just screwed up and thrown in the bottom of your bag, it really makes a massive difference. If you're sitting there and that wind's freezing cold, mm. you just put it on and you feel incredibly snug even without changing any of your other gear. So it really adds a lot of warmth, mm. but it is for when it's cold. It's not something you'd use <clears throat> stalking in mild weather. It, it'd be ridiculously too hot. Yeah. It's intentionally designed for that uh very, very cold weather stalking or just those cold nights when you're sitting late and you're not moving and so you really do get chilled. Yep, yep. No, I can see that on the, the pictures on your website there, the, the patch over the year, that that's always a, an issue when you're trying to stay warm and you you um, you know pull a beanie down over your ears or something like that, then you, you like you said, you lose that um, or your, your hearing is, is significantly disadvantaged sometimes by having that covered. Yes, well, I'll tend to use a, you know, in those cold situations, I'll always, I'll actually usually have a a cap and then I'll put a beanie on top of the cap. Mm. Um, And, but I keep the beanie above my ears to be able to make sure I can hear. Mm. And and both the mesh one and the fleece one come in two different colours. One's um, called digital camo, which is a bit more of a greener to it, but mottled different greens and different colours through it. Mm And the other one's called birch tree camo, and it's um, <clears throat> more like a real tree type of pattern where it's um, actual pictures of of uh, leaves and and branches mm-hmm. and sticks, and it's very much again a broken up, a disruptive pattern material, but more natural looking and more in the browner tones, mm-hmm. browns and greys. Mm. Yeah. Okay. They look great. All right, and the um, the next thing um, that I've got to look at as well is the silicon rubber um, rifle scope covers and sunshade. Yeah, well, that's <clears throat> something sort of where um, 
you know, our hunting interest or selling a product specifically for hunting, this was our first. And it's developed over like, I guess, for more than 20, 25 years of stalking. I uh, made, improvised and made some myself out of bicycle tube. And I know I'm not the only person in Australia or New Zealand who's done that. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem is that the tube bends in different ways and it's, you've got to tape it on and you've got to get it exactly right. But then if you want to pull it off to put in your gun case or something, it can be a pain. Mm. Um, So eventually when we started making or looking into products to sell, um, I improved my design and had, we had some molds made up and we're getting them manufactured now in three different sizes and they're, they're, um, just selling them individually. And so the simplest way to think of it is a little veranda on both the front and the back of your rifle, which is made out of silicon rubber. Mm -hmm. And we actually offer a lifetime warranty on them. That's how confident we are in the quality of the material. And so if someone has one tear, um, you know, or gets damaged somehow, they've just got to contact us and we'll send them another one. Mm -hmm. And um, they're... Extremely durable, and the idea is that their greatest use, from my perspective, has always been um, when you're hunting in the rain. And as a Samba stalker, I um, always carry my rifle in the ready position, and so it's held roughly level. And as long as it's held roughly level, and you've got the scope covers on, you uh, you can hunt in significantly, you know, moderately heavy rain, and and your um, optics stay clear the whole time mm. and so it's it means that when you're stalking through the bush and a 30 inch stag jumps up 30 meters in front of you and is getting out of there fast and you've got like two or three seconds to get that shot off um then you can do it without any concern that you're going to have water mucking up your scope cover yep. and i've i've learned that the hard way from before i went to the you know this design we i tried scope caps and you know the deer jumps up and you you don't have time to flick any scope caps <clears throat> um or some of them leak a lot anyway uh then i've just had issues where i've gone to shoot a deer with not much notice and you've got too much water on on your glass and it's mm. just difficult to place a good shot so you miss out yep. and so this, even though that was the main purpose I invented it for, and we, we actually have a, a patent on it in the US because we sell um, thousands of them in the US, mm-hmm. um, there most of the buyers um, actually buying them <clears throat> as a sunshade because they're a very low-cost sunshade that's super durable, mm. doesn't add weight to the front of your scope, and, and you can easily shift its position depending on where the sun is. You can literally almost pull it halfway over the objective lens and yet you still get a full clear view as you look through. It's hard Mm. to explain why that happens, but you can totally block the sun from getting on that that, um, glass objective lens. Yeah. So that's been our biggest um, use for it in America, even though that wasn't what its original intention was. And I think a lot of Americans just don't like hunting in the rain so maybe that or they there's a lot of areas that don't have rain as much as our victorian alps do mm. so you've got um the small one i take it goes on the um 
the IP set. The IP, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Yep, the IP end, and then uh, the other sizes are obviously compatible with the uh, the different size objective lenses. Yes, yes. On our on our listing and selling them, it has um, what sizes they fit, mm-hmm. and so the, yeah, the small fits uh, most um, <clears throat> of the eyepiece ends. Occasionally, some of the European brands may have um, an eyepiece that needs a medium mm-hmm. um but if you try and put a medium on and you're you're outside the size range it's too loose and that's no good because you want them quite snug so mm-hmm. you can walk around the bush all day without them flicking off so you want them quite tight mm-hmm. and that's the sizes allow for that and then <clears throat> your 40 mil objective lens scopes they <clears throat> use a medium and then your 50 55 mil objective lens scopes use the the large um so they've, but they've got a fair bit of flexibility in the range. The only thing we don't cater for is if someone's got low power scopes, that's where yeah. it's only like the 25 mil tube at the front. Um, we don't have enough demand for the cost involved in setting up a, a new mold for that at this stage anyway. Mm-hmm. And where some people have still wanted it, um, all they do is they buy a small and, and they just cut the bottom out of it and then put a cable tie or some electrical tape around it yep. and it still functions perfectly well. It just doesn't look as neat as, as the other ones. Um, but we find once you put it on your rifle, um, there's never a reason to take it off. So mm. it just stays on for every hunt and you never have to look for them or grab them. You just <laughs> lift your rifle up and you know your optics will be yeah. clear as long as you've been you know holding it roughly level while it's raining yeah yeah great all right and the the last thing we wanted to talk talk about quickly and i realize it's not really a a hunting product but um it's probably quite relevant for for people like hunters who do spend a lot of time in the bush camping and and so forth anyway uh is going to be the waterproof blankets yeah so with these there it's a polyester on one side which is waterproof and it also has a waterproof polyurethane between the two layers of fabric and on the inside it's a comfortable uh, polar fleece we've actually gone for a a fairly heavy weight at 350 grams a square meter Mm -hmm. so it actually can give you a bit of warmth um, and also it's got a bit more comfort so you can use it when you're camping Um, some people use them over top of their sleeping bags to stop the condensation wetting any of their sleeping gear because the the outer cover protects it. Mm-hmm. Some people use them um, just sitting on the ground like a picnic blanket where uh, no moisture comes up through the blanket so they can sit on the nice polar fleece side. And even just sitting around the campfire at night, you can wrap them around you, but they're big enough you can wrap a blanket around two people. Mm-hmm. So they're very much a multi-purpose, as many ideas as you can think of, they can be used for. And they just roll up like a, I guess they're like a small sleeping bag, Mm. Um, but they certainly aren't designed to replace a good down sleeping bag or something like that. They're more a um, a multi-use blanket that's, or even as an emergency blanket in the back of your ute, Mm. you know, to, if you break down somewhere to have something you can get out and wrap around yourself in the ute to keep you nice and warm. So... Uh, yeah, we've found it's been very, very popular. Um, we 
we sell them in the US and we're the in that style of blanket we're the highest seller in America and have been for a couple of years now okay yeah great stuff all right so Jeff where what's the best way for people to go and look at the products and then to purchase them once they've made that choice the main way we sell them is through Amazon in Australia um, for the Australian market and the simplest way is just uh, go onto Amazon but make sure it's amazon.com.au the au bit or you'll be looking at the american site mm -hmm. and um if you just typed in the search bar um under all categories if you just typed in the three words down under outdoors then it'll show you the range of products we sell and some of them aren't relevant to um hunting or camping but um the ones that i mentioned aren't hard to find we've only got you know a dozen or more products there so they're easy to find and then you can click on the links. There's videos that show them um, much more clearly. Or alternatively, if they if you just want to have a look on our website, it shows all the products and has links to purchase through through Amazon. Uh, so, and when you buy them through Amazon, uh, as long as you spend more than $25, postage is free. So that's a pretty, pretty good deal. Mm. Uh, and that's anywhere in Australia. So, and Amazon are incredibly quick at sending things out. Uh, our camping blanket also has a lifetime warranty as well. Yep. And, and we've been selling them for seven years um, now altogether in America and sell about 20,000 a year. So that's been very helpful for us. And that, uh, the website that um, for people to go and look there. Uh, yes, if they just put in the um, our websites just in all one word down under outdoors and then just .net. Okay, great. So it's just our name plus .net on our brand name plus .net on the end, and that will get them there. And I they can contact me via email. And if someone doesn't want to go through Amazon but just wants to purchase directly from me, that's not a problem at all. It's the same uh, price, but depending on how much we're talking, I'd probably have to charge something for the postage. So mm -hmm. that's the advantage of going through Amazon. Okay. Yep. But, you know, we can just talk one-on-one um, -on, -one on on that and help people out where we can there. Yep, yep, okay. All right, Jeff, great. Thanks very much for your time and, uh, and for filling us in about those products. No worries at all. Nice to talk to you. Well, we're, uh, yeah, <laughs> traveling down rabbit holes again, but... Um, That's fine. Coming back to, to the, uh, the panhead then as well. Um, now, okay. I, uh, I contacted you, I think, uh, not long after they first came out, back towards the start of the year or um, might have even been before then. But, yeah. Um, at that stage, I was interested in getting the, uh, the Tricer LP panhead because I wanted to lighten up my system a little bit i was using a, a video pan head at the time and not the lightest bit of kit and unfortunately you weren't able to sell to me directly so i had to go through uh, the go hunt fellas over there um mm -hmm. and ended up getting one so i've been i've been running that for for a little while now using it on a couple of hunts more than a couple of hunts actually but um and yeah, really, really enjoying it. Um, I, was, I was very surprised um, at the weight of it and um, how compact it is and 
yet still having the the smoothness that I was seeing in in a uh, a video pan head, um, but in a, a package that was probably quarter the size, maybe something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was that was the first sort of I guess exposure for me to to Tricer. Uh, and I can't even remember how I came across you, probably just through the through Instagram feed or something. But that was my introduction to uh, to you and and your products. Um, how did that come about? Well, for one, I would be lying to you if I told you I knew it was going to turn out as good as it did, because <laughs> it really did turn out to be the the best hunting pan head on the market. Um, it turned out incredible. Uh, how it came about is I've been building these ultralight tripods, and one of my buddies. Um, we, his name is Lung Popper on all the forums. We call him LP. Yeah. Uh, said, I bet you can't make a six ounce uh, pan head. And I said, well, hold my beer. I'll figure it out. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I, I created the L, I created that pan head. And I named it after him just as a, out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> I named it the LP, the Lung Popper. Uh, he's one of my best hunting partners. So that's what, it, when people ask what it means, it means Lung Popper. Right. Um, and that's what came about is I just, he challenged me to it and said something about it. And I was like, man, you know, I could probably figure that out. And I just started going and prototyping, prototyping, prototyping. And it just, it blows my socks off every time I use it. It's just such an incredible head. I, I've been using, I use a lot of heads and a lot of times you just can't feather them in. And that's one of the biggest things is you go ultra light, but things flopping everywhere. You can go buy a ball head. That's not good for glassing. Mm. You want something that's smooth left to right and up and down. Mm. Uh, a lot of times you go lighter, the thing will start flopping around on you. But with the LP, the tolerances are just so good, and we just nailed it. Yep. You do, you can feather, you can feather that handle, and just, I, I don't know if you're glassing like this, but you probably will after this conversation. I don't use my hands; I just get it set up, and I use my face to move it. Yep. yep. You know, that's, that's, it's, it's that so, is yeah, that is what I discovered with my binoculars. I I can just point the handle away from me. And just set the, the tension and, yeah, then just use basically my nose and just slowly, you know, scan across and then adjust down and then scan back. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then you can, uh, you know, you can use your face and pull back, you know, a half inch and then just check all the corners, right, pick things apart. Um, that's how it came about. I mm. mean, it just it just turned out great. We, we made like, uh, I think we ran like six prototypes last winter. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got them, I mean, it was just like, oh man, these are awesome. Mm, yeah. <laughs> this is, I told my partner, I'm like, these are, this is going to be big. Mm-hmm. And we never thought they'd be as big as it is now. I mean, we've thousands and thousands of those heads have gone out and people are just now hearing about us. Mm. Right. I mean, now they're getting into, I had people calling me from Alaska and I was in a hunt in a camp and these guys had your stuff. I got to buy it. I got to, you know, it's just now getting to that point. We yeah. don't even have the organic stuff yet. It's just that's how it happened is I wanted to create a panhead for hunters that wasn't a photography panhead, right? Not some giant fluid head because you, most of the time you're running lighter optics anyway. You don't need an 18-ounce fluid head that's really big and bulky. Hmm. You need something smaller, and it's it's the ease of use and the function for me. that, Like I said, using my face to move it around that really makes it stand out hmm. is uh, more so than the weight. The weight's cool, but again, there's also that function, right? I don't want to build something that's super light but doesn't function, and that thing just does does both. It's awesome. Yeah. Just to put it in perspective as well, it, the website advertises 4.5 ounces. Yeah. yeah that's correct. It actually weighs 4.3. Okay. <laughs> so It weighs less. So but yeah. for those of us that are using the metric system, 4.5 ounces is 127.5 grams. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And I, and I run a, you know, 11 pound rifle off it, coyote hunting and yeah. it handles it. No problem. Yeah. 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 yeah it's crazy. That, that pan head, uh, I didn't design it for shooting. I've designed it for glassing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do Dish. time. That, yeah. You could shoot off of it. Yep. Just uh, but don't bring it to the range and put, you know, 300 rounds on it. It's a four ounce pan head. It wasn't designed for that. Um, but it, we shoot off them all the time. It's, it's a great head for, for that. Uh, I had, I've got some new prototypes coming out that are attachments and they've killed, uh, two antelope and, and two axis deer or three axis deer in the last week on them. And mm. it's just running awesome on that LP pan head. Mm. So I'm excited. I think I might've been talking to you about that. Uh, you might see some pictures. Um, we have some stuff coming out for, for rifle attachments and stuff that just that make that LP pan head even better. Yeah. I saw something on, um, I think it was your Instagram or monitoring someone else's and, and they had a rifle sitting on, uh, on it, but they had the, the attachment part blacked out. Yeah, yeah. I'm tr- trying to create that frenzy, you know. Mm. <laughs> I can't show all my secrets yet. I'm hoping I was going to wait till spring, but that one's just too good not to release. So I think I might release that right before Christmas time. Yep. Get it down to everybody so they can get it, you know, put it under the tree, put it in the stocking. But it's a it's a really cool attachment that's going to be coming out. That's it's it's all it's ultra light, but it's also very functional. And I think we knocked it out of the park on that thing. So. The prototypes, we have five of those prototypes in the field right now. I really want to run things through the paces before I release to market, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, rushing, I, I chase perfection. So I'm always tweaking and changing and doing things um, on everything I build. So I, I find it's better to spend six months to a year in the field prototyping and changing things, tweaking things, than to create a thousand of them. Then, you know, even when I do create a thousand, you know, and I think they're perfect. Someone's going to notice something that I need to change later on, right? Yeah. A year from now, I'll be like, oh, I should have done this. So you tweak things here and there to make them a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I've sort of heard amongst, a common thread amongst uh, some of the people I've interviewed on the podcast that, that do make their own gear is very similar to that, what you're saying. You know, they're, they're A, they're using it themselves. So they've developed it from a need that they identified and it was something mm-hmm. that, that they wanted and then when they they took that step to release it in the market they realized um just how how big the need for it was you know it wasn't just them thinking that that this would be a good idea all of a sudden everybody looks at it and goes wow that's a good idea i'm going to buy that um and that 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 uh, i guess quest for perfection uh as well you know people are always they're always looking at ways of fine tuning things or adjusting you know the, the macro elements of it um, to to bring out a product that they're then confident to to release onto the market. Not just not just rushing and pushing something out there and and you know then in a year's time or something rather bringing out you know version point two um, that people want to bring something out that that is a good finished product and and will will stand as that product for many years to come. Yeah, I mean I build that's how Tracer started, right? It was off based off hunts I was going on, carrying a bunch of weight and, and just thinking there had to be a better way to skin this cat, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I build this stuff for myself. I don't want to just go build a, a product to make money. I don't want to build something people are proud of. I mean, that's why it, if someone gives me a, you know, we don't really have, we have all of our reviews are five star on the site, I mean, a couple four stars, but if somebody has an issue with one of my things, I'm not going to lie. We have, you know, I don't know, 5,000 panheads on the market now or something like that. Yeah. And, it, you know, if something goes wrong, I mean, sometimes something happens to your machine them. I want to fix it right then. I want them to have a great experience with that product. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I want it to be perfect for them and I, and I build it and I, and I love that guys are out there using my stuff and enjoying it. And, uh, 
something about that. You know, I, you have to take pride in what you're making. I don't want to build garbage. I want to build things that uh, work for people and help people be successful. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, I get the biggest kick out of it, man. I get the biggest kick out of uh, all these guys across the world now running my stuff, sending me pictures and just thank you. Thank you. This thing's incredible. I was able to find this goat. I was able to find this, this sheep or this, look at this, this guy texted me today. He's like, look at this deer I shot. Mm. He told me you want me to use to find things. He told me you want me to use to find things and kill them. And look at the size of this buck. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Yep. That's, that's so cool, man. They're, they're, they get to use my stuff and do that. And I want to make sure I'm giving them a product that helps them to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. That's something similar I hear as well from, from the other people I've spoken to that they, they love, you know, opening up their social media or, or a, a, an email and, and seeing somebody, you know, in, in a crazy adventure, you know, with a massive animal and, and there's their gear, you know, in, in the picture frame. So must um, must be great to, to, to do that, to see, you know, everybody benefiting from things that, that have come out of your head or, or, you know, from your hands. Yeah, it's it's that's what I do it for. Honestly, it's it's that's what gives me the most joy. Selling things is cool, but like, seeing people use it and enjoy something that I made mm. really brings. Um, I mean, I'm an inventor. I have three patents in other industries as well. But when you see something you make being used and then changing an industry, right? Like my other products have changed industries as well in the in the HVAC space. It really does. Uh, it's neat, yep. and people see it and they they understand it. And you know, it wasn't just a fluke. Yeah. It wasn't just something I came up with, right? Like when they're using these tripods and they're like, these are the best tripods we've ever had or this this pan head's incredible. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That uh, that means the world to me. Mm. I mean, I, I tell my team all the time over here at Tricer that we are built on great products and great customer service. Mm -hmm. And we want to take care of our customers and we want to do whatever we can to make them have a great experience with our products and with our company. Um, and I just get the biggest kick out of it, man. I feel like I got all these friends all over the West cunning, you know, and I have five kids. I'm not hunting nowhere near as much as some of these guys. And yeah. when they're not using my stuff, they, I feel like I'm out there. Yeah. Living you know, vicariously like, man, through. I, I had a, yeah. I'm living through them, right? Like, I, I had a part in you going and shooting a moose this year, right? Mm. I had a part in, you know, this guy just killed a, a caribou with, with his bow and he sent me pictures and he had it in my game bags and he was just, just tell me everyone in campus wants to buy your, buy your setup. Now there's six guys and they're all going to order one when we get home. You know? mm -hmm. I just get a kick out of that. And, and, and it doesn't, it's not so much the sale. It's that, man, these guys were out there and they had something else and they saw ours and they thought, wow, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I get a kick out of people that's thinking what we're doing is cool. Now I see you, you've got a bino adapter and uh, an arca plate as well. Um, yep. I, I'll, I'll, make a disclosure to you i uh because i have uh range finding binoculars uh i can't mm -hmm. use those those stud style uh bino adapters yep. so i do i got something for you this spring okay. i got something for you all right well i have i have <laughs> been using i do have the uh, asiac equipment um bino clamp and mm -hmm. and of course you know that has a arca compatible um mm -hmm. plate on the bottom of it so uh that goes really well it works hand in hand with the uh the pan head um your yeah. pan head as well so um but i have used a similar style bino adapter years ago on, on different binos um so I, I do sort of know how they work and how how easy they are and and um makes makes everything what? makes everything a whole lot makes easier. everything easy mm. yeah and they're super super um compatible with all kinds of binos universal uh, what what binos are you running? I'm just curious. The Swaros? No, Leica. Leica. Okay. Yeah, I'm working on, I'm working on something, 
that will be worthy of your $3,000 binoculars. That's my goal. Right, yeah, yeah. That's my goal, right, is uh, to make something that's uh, that looks like it's worth the price of what you paid for those binos. And that should be coming out in the spring for the, you know, something focused on the NL Pures, the ELRs, the EL ranges, the, uh, the Leicas, the Geovids, right? Um, I'm working on something special for those things that'll mm-hmm. be out. Yeah, we got that, the bino adapter, and people love that. It's like two ounces. It comes with two studs in it because every time people – I hate people. And what makes ours different, ours just has ARCA built into it. Mm-hmm. Right? Every other bino adapter, you have to go buy a adapter, adapter plate for it. Yep. It doesn't come with the studs. you got to buy an extra stud. So I said, no, when we make this thing. Let's not try to upcharge people. Let's make it with an ARCA plate built into it. Mm-hmm. And let's make it with two studs because most guys have two pairs of binos. And so yep. when you buy it, you get the whole thing. It's 50 bucks. It's all right there, and people love it. We sell thousands and thousands of those things, and we put we brought that to market last summer. It kind of put us on this journey, and people love it. Mm. Yeah, that, and then uh, that, yeah, that I'm, was with the bino adapter I had. Uh, that was one thing I had to buy a separate plate for it and, and attach that as well. So yeah. that was a an additional cost. So yeah, that's that's a good point you've made. Is that yours has comes with the the Arca already molded into it. Yeah, we're kind of forcing the industry to go Arca Swiss. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I think it's so silly that why would you sell a bino adapter and then sell them a plate for 20 bucks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just make the damn plate on the thing. So, um, and you've seen a lot of my competitors now are switching over to Arca Swiss from, the, from their proprietary clamps and stuff. It's mm-hmm. just all the spotters now are coming Arca Swiss, which is mm-hmm. neat, like the newer spotters, which is great. Yep. But yeah, we got that Arca plate that we came out with. Um, it weighs 0.6 ounces. That thing is just awesome. Mm-hmm. I think I have 10 of them right now in my in my own kit. It's on all kinds of different stuff, cameras and and uh, spotting scopes and just they're they're awesome. Mm-hmm. People love it. Um, it's just built for hunters. It's it's fully skeletonized. There's nothing left on it. It's about as wide as the LP head because you don't need to have some giant plates, especially for your binos. And the whole top is rubber, so it won't spin on you. Yep. Right. So lots of puts one on and starts spinning. It's just that Arca plate is awesome so 20 bucks it's you know well worth the, the price of admission for that thing mm-hmm. so with the new tripods then you've got out do you still find that there's a need for the the other models that you've got like the the gtp1 uh or is it or is it gtpi um gtp1 gtp1 so the gtp i would say the gtp3 kind of doesn't isn't really gonna once we sell out of that we're probably done with it mm-hmm. honestly GTP one definitely has a need because it's this ultra light. Uh, if you're a minimalist guy, you have a 20 ounce, it gets a 19 ounce uh, tripod that fits in your it fits in your pack super small. Mm. But it definitely has a need. We still sell a lot of those. Um, just compared to the, uh, it's a it's a niche product, right? So we still sell uh, quite a few of those, but probably 10 percent of what we saw on the other ones. Yeah. On the AD and the BC. Yeah. Um, but we are going to continue to sell the GTP one for sure. It's it's a tripod that's, like, say you got a camera crew with you. And you don't want to carry two tripods. You know, you throw that in your pack and you have an extra tripod to, to film with, right? So if I'm going to go out and I have my tripod already for glassing, and I want I already have my trekking poles, why not bring that with me? And mm. now my camera can sit on that, mm. right? Yep. Or if you want to glass off it, it's a, I, I used that thing for three seasons before I made these other tripods. So it's, I, I think it's a great tripod. Yeah. So just, just for the purpose of everybody that's listening in, because obviously they're, they're not looking at what I'm looking at, the, uh, the GTP1 mm. is a tripod but it only has one leg and the other two legs have a a small um, adapter where you put your uh, trekking poles in it upside down so you put the um, the pointy end of the the trekking pole in and and they substitute the other two legs Um, 
so yeah I, I thought that was a, a great idea um, and it's something that I've sort of even mucked around trying to modify a, a, another tripod that I had um, yeah. that I wasn't terribly worried if I ruined it you know but at the same time um, but obviously then the uh, you know the need is to carry two two trekking poles with you um, so yeah if you if you're going to be carrying the trekking poles uh, and and carrying that weight with you then then that's certainly a, a good option but there really isn't a great deal of difference between uh, the weight of the the BC and the AD and and that system anyway yeah there, there isn't yeah, yeah I kind of shot myself in the foot with that one didn't I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a great tripod it really is but yeah the, the BC and the AD are just they're taking off like wildfire mm. we can't like I said we can't keep them in stock just, just going through them as fast as we ship to come in week and a half ago and i'm already worried they're gonna be sold out by next week yeah and we're just trying to uh the the growth we've experienced with those tripods and that pan head have we never could have predicted it Mm -hmm. and we're just chasing it constantly trying to keep up it's been pretty gnarly but yeah no it's it's a great tripod it's definitely a niche tripod for niche people but there are guys who are just ultra ultra light and then for me over here i always have trekking poles Mm. we're hunting really mountainous stuff so you need Trekking poles are like four-wheel drive, especially when you put an elk down or a deer down. You got a hundred pounds on your back. Yeah. Those trekking poles will save your life. I mean, it's just there's something about being able to lean on those things. You go up a big hill, or have something to stabilize you when you go over a rock. It's just they are they're they're pretty much in all of our packs now. I mean, they used to be you know for sissies you know ten years ago, and now everyone runs trekking poles. Hundred percent, mate. Yeah. Common thing. I won't go without trekking poles now, and um, I mean my my knees and my back and hip aren't, aren't as anywhere near as young as they used to be. And I remember years ago I was I was the same thinking that you know, I don't need trekking poles, you know, that's for old men. And then I went on a holiday to Bali, and we we climbed a volcano, an active volcano, mm-hmm. and um, the guide there insisted that we take a trekking pole, at least one trekking pole, with us. He wouldn't let us go without it. And after doing that and being forced to use the trekking pole, when I came back from that trip, I went out and bought a set. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are uh, They are not – they are incredible. Mm. They're not even an option for me anymore. They, they're in the pack every time I go out. It just makes your life so much easier, especially when you get the weight on, especially when you're hiking in. Like I might not use them once I'm in, right? So let's say I'm hiking in six miles to a camp. I've got 60 pounds on my back with rifle, optics, whatever um, – having those shaking bowls helps. Then maybe I set up camp and then I'm going with a day pack after that or right or a smaller kit. Hmm. I might not have a, I might have them in my pack, maybe not in my hands, but it's going to be a little bit noisy, right? You don't want to be clack, 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 clack when you're looking for game, but they're always with me at all times. Cause especially when you shoot something, it's just so nice to be able to have those tracking bowls. There's that, something about going up a steep hill and being able to lean against those things and hmm. hold your body up. That is just uh it's a great feeling. Hmm. It really hmm. is. Even even just having that there too as a you know temporary rest for your your bino, so you can sit down and if you, oh, want, yeah. if you want to glass something quickly, pop it on top and um, yeah, they they've got a lot of uses. I've I've used them. I've sort of lashed them together and used them as a bit of a you know extended bipod to shoot over uh, when I need to yep. get above some some long grass. So yeah, I I I'm the same. I, I, if I'm not if they're not in my hand, then they're on my pack. So. Yeah, I mean, I use them even when you shoot an elk. I'll I'll make that same D, mm-hmm. you know, time together. I'll put their hold their quarter up, mm-hmm. so I can get in there and cut at it, you know, because yeah, you yeah. 
trying to hold up an elk quarter while someone gets in there and cuts the joint is, is a pain, but you use those chunky poles to hold the leg up while you get in there and work. Uh, yeah. And they have all kinds of uses. I mean, I use them for my tarps, right? Mm. So I have them in there. So if it's raining, I throw, I always have a tarp in my pack out here because you just never know when it's going to rain. Yeah. Yeah. So then I'll, you know, use two chunky poles in the front and then, uh, shot the back down to the ground or to a tree or something that I'm covered. I mean, they're just, they have so many uses, multiple uses, right? We make a TP adapter as well for them. So you can use them for your center post of your TP. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what started Tricer was the whole trekking pole tripod thing, right? So um, I've, I'm passionate about it. I'm going to keep those tripods in the line for sure. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> in terms of gear then, and non-Tricer related gear, mm-hmm. what, are, what are some, give me five items that Drew never leaves out of his backpack. Oh, geez. Five items. Um, dude wipes. Mm-hmm. Dude wipes. So like, like a wipey. Yep. Toilet paper. Same, we'll, put the same, we'll put on the same thing. Dude wipes and toilet paper. Those are always in my pack, yep. no matter yep. what. No, I'm a, I'm a big fan of taking the uh, the bum wipes as well. Um, just for cleaning up. Yeah, just, yeah. just cleaning up, freshening up a bit. It's nothing worse than uh, getting a little bit too funky down there. And um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't hurt. Wait when you kill something. It's great to have them and they're cheap. Mm. uh some more stuff in my kit i always have a tarp mm-hmm. i always have a tarp because it's just something i can cover me with um i guess you i can't say tripod because we already did tripod <laughs> also i always have an inreach no matter what where i'm going i always have an inreach a way to get out and you know you guys use inreaches yeah yep yep so we just wait for safety i always have that in my kit no matter what um I always use a jet boil now. Okay. I used to try and go ultra light with, uh, you know, just the stoves and the pots and stuff. And I feel like the jet boils is something that's just convenient and easy for me. I always have a jet boil no matter what for my backpacking trips now. Just I, I like it more. Um, I'm trying their mini mo this year. It's a little bit bigger one because I've been doing a lot of ramen. Yeah. So it's, it's easier to eat out of. It's nice to be able to cook coffee in, cook ramen in, use the middle of the day, spark it up. Mm-hmm. Jeez, I'm going to go home and be like, oh, man, I, I have so many things I always have in my kit. Uh, what do I always have in there? Mm. Paracord. Okay. 100%. 100-foot of paracord. Every, I'm trying to think of cheap things I have. They're not just expensive gear, right? I mean, obviously, I have pads and I have my quilts and tents, but I always have paracord at 100 foot of it, no matter what. Yeah. Um, I find that 50 foot's not enough, and, man, you have so many uses for paracord when you're out there. Yeah. Uh Especially when you're hang, we have to hang quarters and stuff here because we have bears, right, mm-hmm. and things that can get into them, wolves, whatever. Um, you throw an elk over a tree, 50 foot's about is what you need to get that thing over the tree and pulled up because you got the, from the tree branch down to the ground, then, you know, the elk up. Yep. Um, same thing with, um, you know, hanging food, paracord works for that. I've used paracord. I've made belts out there for people. We were on a backpacking trip with our kids. I made a belt for a kid last mm-hmm. time we were out. I mean. Uh, something goes wrong, you got to put guidelines on your tent. You can make one super simply with that. I've I've hung tar- hang tarps with paracord. So there there's five things. So we mm. what we did we did dude wipes. Yep. Did uh tarp jet boil tarp jet boil in reach and paracord in reach and paracord. There's there's five things that are pretty simple in your kit. I like doing uh, some of the lo- lower lower dollar things like the paracord and the dude wipes. Those are nice to have in there. Yeah. Yep. No, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, the tarp too, bringing a, a little lightweight tarp and um, just having that as a, a temporary shelter if you've got to sit out a storm or um, you know, even get a bit of sunshade uh, while you're sitting down glassing or having lunch or something. 
Yeah, the tarp is it saved our boat. We went on an all cut last year in Oregon, and it was miserable. <laughs> it snowed mm. and rained the whole time. But having that tarp is just we had the tarp up and we made a little fire in the rocks next to us, and we we're able to still kind of make do. Yeah. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to lay in the tent when it's a storm. I'm going to go out there and try and find animals because they don't go in the tent. They're still out there somewhere. So. Yeah, yeah. No. You can't find them from the tent, right? You, sometimes you get lucky, you find them. Exactly. Yeah, I I um I see that quite a, a few times on some people's YouTube videos. You know, they're sitting in the tent, and they're filming from inside the tent, and they're saying, "Oh, you know, it's raining out there, so we're in the tent, and we've been in here for hours." And I sort of think, well, same sort of thing, you know, as you do. The animals are still going to be out there, and um. When it stops raining, you know, that's a good opportunity to be right there and then and, and be out there looking around. But uh, each of the yeah, I guess I guess that comes back to what I said before. Everybody's got their, their tolerance for uh, discomfort. And I'll tell you what, my kid shot his deer last year or two years ago. And it was, I think, 18 degrees and the winds were like 30 to 40 miles per hour. It had been raining. It was miserable. It was like day five of the six day hunt. And he killed a deer that morning. Hmm. Found the deer. He was still up on his feet. We found him. Went over to put a stock on him. And he, he shot that deer at 385 yards. What is that? 350 meters, 400 meters. He shot that deer. Yep. Yep. So it's, you, they're, they're still out there. They don't, they don't, there's no ho hotel for elk and deer when it gets cold. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. are still out there somewhere. Yeah. Yep. Now, fog, on the other hand, fog makes it. I was out hunting this morning and we were socked in for two hours. That sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Can't no. nothing about that you can't see it's just miserable so yeah, exactly. we ended up packing up and going and hiking out and still still hunting mm. and of course as soon as we started still hunting the fog started to lift yeah <laughs> yeah always the way and fog's miserable mm. i'm doing a bit of a um a test at the moment uh on jet boil and uh some other stove options um i'm thinking about going away from the gas canister style stove and, and going to a, a, a liquid fuel Stove. Okay. So yeah, I'm like running MSR popcorn or something. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of different brands um, that I'm looking at, um, but I, I got onto because um, I, I I went away from the jet boil and I got some titanium mugs and a Soto Windmaster um, mm -hmm. to try that. And last trip I did, I had a I ran out of gas basically, and and um, what I felt was prematurely. So. Did a bit of research and I've, I've picked up a new pot. Um, it's made by Ollie Camp, O-L-I-C-A-M-P. Um, and it's kind of like a jet boil. It's got the same sort of heat exchange style gotcha. of, of yeah. bottom to it. Um, but it's a bit wider and it's got a bigger diameter. And it's got inbuilt handles uh, and doesn't have the, um, um, you know, the, the thing around that material around it that the jet boil does so mm -hmm. so i went to the uh, titanium mug so that i could use them in a fire as an alternative to the gas stove to preserve gotcha. preserve gas and so forth um, and this one without having that uh, wetsuit material around it obviously you can still use it in a fire and it's got the handles on it um, but I, I found so far the testing that i've done it is quite a bit faster than a jet boil with the the really? solo windmaster yeah um really and i think the the bigger surface area the bigger diameter has a bit to do with it um because there's not a lot of difference in the design between it and the, and the jet boil yeah. in terms of that heat transfer sort of 
waffling that they have underneath. Um, and it's it's still you know super light. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm doing some timed testings when I make my coffee in the morning, and um, I'm gonna then get hold of a a liquid fuel stove and and have a play around with that as well. And, yeah, I, that mini Mo's has got a wider bowl on it. So I wonder if that'll be the same situation. You're thinking because maybe the water's not as deep. Yeah, yeah. It's so, cooking faster. So maybe that mini Mo, that doesn't make sense. I have, yeah, I, I, mean, have a, I have a Minimo too, and the the heat exchange is still the same diameter, even though the pot's bigger. That uh, the heat exchange well, is still the same as, really, as a standard that makes sense. foil. Whereas, That's probably why it's, you're not getting the heat spread out as much as the other one. Mm, mm. Anyway, I just yeah. I'm, I'm like you, mate. I'm I'm sort of a bit of a gear junkie and gear nerd, and and I just like playing around with things. And uh, sometimes the the budget allows me to do certain things, so um, I take that opportunity and muck around with it and then I'll, I'll use the podcast as a bit of a platform to sort of share the results and give people some other options and ideas and that's the thing with gear too right and so once you kind of establish yourself then you can start tweaking one or two things here they're trying it out you mm. know um so you can change you already know you have everything else in your kit you know you think about when you first started doing this you're probably not even using any of the stuff you bought mm. <laughs> in the beginning you know you you change uh and there's a lot of stuff that you, know, you just find that works for you. And then once you have it, you know, you got it. Yeah. Something I'm going to try this year. I don't know if you're trying it at all. Is uh, one of those air pad pumps. I've seen those. You seen those? Yeah. yeah. And I, I thought it was like trekking poles. Like, no way. But I've heard Remy Warren just going crazy about how much he loves these things. Mm. And uh, I had a few friends told me the same thing, especially in the mouth of my kids. I'm going to blow up multiple, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just put that pump on there and it blows that sucker right up. Mm. And, I, and they only weigh a few ounces and they're supposed to be just great. Mm. Especially if you're running like the thicker, bigger pads, you know, not just the, the thermarest, you know, some of those square three inch deep thick pads. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No, so, I, 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 I was surprised. I I, bigger ones. Yeah. I think I saw it was either Remy or um, Aaron Snyder um, uh, was talking about it. And I was quite surprised to see them promoting it. And I thought, well, if they're, yeah. if they're doing it, like that, those guys are pretty hardcore. So if they're doing it, it, it obviously is is worthwhile. Yeah, and that's exactly what I heard. Like when I hear Remy Warren's can do that, I'm like, yeah, it's probably not a gimmick. Mm. And he doesn't get any money from them. He just bought, you know, these sell them on Amazon. They have them there for 30, 20 or 30 bucks. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Uh, they're pretty common. And they have them, I don't know, probably all your sporting goods stores too, but... Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to try that out this year. That's the piece of gear I'm going to put in my kit to try on some of these backpack hunts. I'm trying a bigger pad too as well. Mm -hmm. a, um, I can't remember the name of it. It's a it's a wider pad, like three inches thick. I find myself rolling around a lot, like I said. So I want to try something, maybe see if it's more comfortable for me to sleep. A little bit more weight, but uh, I think it's like 16 ounces versus 12 ounces, whatever I'm running right now. Yeah. Um, only a few ounces more, but it's going to be more comfortable. But I really don't want to blow that thing up. It's probably twice as much air in that thing as my other one does. So I'm going to try one of those pumps on it and see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. It's not so bad when you're when you're setting up camp for one day, but when you're when you're going spike camping and you're moving every night, mm, mm. It, it can get tiring blowing that thing up and down every night, you know? Yeah, and it's not good for uh, the air, the longevity of the air yeah. pads either to have your breath in there because obviously the moisture gets in there and can can cause problems. Yeah, that's what they say. I don't, I mean, that's what they say. Like I said, I've had my Thermarest for, I don't even know how many seasons, eight years now or something. And I've blown it up every time and it doesn't smell like mold or anything. Okay. But every time I blow it up, I'm like, man, this thing's got to be pretty nasty inside, you mm. know? But yeah, that's what they say is if you use the, the pump, because they come with like that whole, you know, that pillow pillowcase thing where you can kind of pump the air into yeah. them. Yep. 
but I never use those things. Okay. I, I just, it, they annoy me. So I just blow them up in my mouth and, uh, uh right. but it's probably not right. That's another reason why I want to try and use the pump instead of the uh, blow up my mouth. Cause I am worried about mold being in there and the, hurting the pad, you know? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm a good boy, mate. I follow the rules. I follow the instructions. So I use that, that bag. You do. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I I'm, also start. I'd be interested if, if you did, uh, when you do pop that uh, thermarest and it, it's um, well and truly dead, I'd uh, be interested uh, if you cut it open and see have a look and just see what it looks like. Yeah, <laughs> might be scary. See what's growing, mm. see what's growing inside of it. You know, another thing about being a good boy, uh, I was at a trade show, so I was hanging out with the Jetboil guys last week, and I said, hey, you know, I just want you to know that I always uh, start the thing when the, when the pot's still on it. And <laughs> And, uh, you know, you're supposed to take the pot off, start mm -hmm. it, put the pot back on. Yep, yep. And they said, yeah, it's just a safety thing. You know, you can do it. Just as long as there's water in there, you're fine. Yeah. yeah. You're just supposed to pop it off. But it's, I'm always like, it's annoying to fill water, take the thing off, turn it on, put it back on. I always just spark that sucker up. And I feel like it starts better, too, because you get the gas in there, you know, and got a little bomb underneath the thing. It mm. starts right up. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But I guess I don't follow the rules of some of that stuff, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess... I'm, I'm mindful of your time, Drew. I know you've got uh, kids, and it's uh, with the time difference, it's it's uh, your evening time over there now. It's uh, middle of middle of the day over here for me. But um, some big news, um, I guess, for uh, for Australia in particular, um, that you probably want to share. Oh yeah, we just signed up with Modern Hunter, so Modern Hunter is now our distributor over there for you guys. Mm -hmm. Hit up James; they've got all our stuff in stock, and uh, they're running it and. Uh, Want to make something easier, not deal with customs and shipping it, and you know, once at a time across the country or across the world. So if you need any of our gear from Tricer, go hit up Modern Hunter. They've got it in stock, and they will take care of you. And uh, any issues, anything goes wrong, you can just email me, and I will take care of you because you're talking to me directly. We're still a mom and pop style company. We're small, and we want to make sure you are taken care of. Mm. Yeah, no, that's great. Just hit up Modern Hunter. Yeah, no, we're um. Even though, we, you know, these days with the internet and, and global shipping and so forth, it, it is easy for us to get things sent over from, from different countries. And obviously America has a much bigger range and, and access to resources um, because of your, your much larger hunting community over there. So like I said, I, I had to get mine from Go Hunt. Uh, so it was, it was no issue to, to get it shipped over. But having an, an Australian business that we can support um, is much preferable. Uh, and obviously, you know, then the flow on, it comes back to you as well, uh, supporting your business. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we, I'm, I'm all, all about encouraging uh, supporting Australian businesses first, uh, small businesses, um, and then supporting the hunters themselves, you know, people like you who are out there. Yeah out there doing it, inventing this sort of stuff and, and putting it out there for, um, for everyone's benefit. So uh, we certainly appreciate having uh, an Australian distributor and um, I know I've seen the Modern Hunter in, um, advertising it on their social media just recently, so it is only a, a very recent um, partnership. And by the time this podcast comes out, they'll probably, uh, probably be well and truly established, but um, I'm certainly going to give them a plug too uh, in the the show notes and, and link them in because uh, they are a good bunch of fellows. I got to meet them earlier this year. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're hunters doing, we're all doing the same thing in different parts of the world. And that's what's beautiful. Mm, so mm. yeah, definitely buy it from them. I mean, they have all the exclusive rights to Australia and uh, New Zealand now. 
and they're making my life easier by having it down there. Plus, you're going to get this stuff so much faster from them, right? Yeah. And we will ship direct to Australia now. We, we figured that out. Um, we were fighting it, but now it turns out you guys hunt a lot more than I thought. So it's <laughs> not <laughs> a lot of stuff down there to you guys. So now the modern hunter has it, and they will be uh, able to distribute to you quickly. Great. Great stuff. All right. True, I um, I really appreciate your time, and um, I, like I said, I, I've been enjoying the uh, the, the panhead, and uh, can can provide a personal recommendation to anyone listening in. Um, that, that that is well and truly a, a good bit of gear, and um, well worth the investment. I'm super jealous of uh, of the amount of hunting you've been able to, to do as well. Um, you mentioned you'd, you'd hunted sheep before. Is that in Alaska or or different sheep? No, the Audad Audad sheep out in New Mexico. So it's like okay. the poor man's sheep. Yeah. I'm still applying for I apply for sheep every year, but drawing a sheep tag is very, very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, someday. I'm gonna I'm gonna draw one at some point in my life. I've got a lot of points now built up in a lot of states, so I'm gonna draw one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my my fantasy is um a Dolls Ram in, in Alaska. Um Yeah, I wanna do it. Yeah. So that that'll be obviously for us it's a much bigger investment um, than it is for you guys, but you would still have to go guide it as well for, for that. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you can't get out for less than $25,000 now. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty unreal what's happened with, uh, these guided hunts. I don't know if it's a good thing or not. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. I, it's trying to get into some of these hunts now. It's just not for the average guy. And I don't like that, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it's good for the guides, I guess. If you want to do a stone sheep hunt, it's 75,000 now. Oh yeah. Yeah, I know. It does. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, but I mean, if people are willing to pay it, it's supply and demand, and people are willing to pay it, and they're doing it. And man, one of my friends just did one last year, and he is not a wealthy man, and he's like, "I want to go back." Mm. But twenty-five grand, and he's like, "You don't understand. It changed my life. Yep. I want to go back. Yep. It was worth every freaking penny. It just changed my life." And yeah. he shot a sheep, carried that thing out. You know, I think we're twelve miles back or something crazy, and. It's just, he said it was worth every penny yeah, doing it. Yeah, I my, my dream involves flying in in a, in a super cub and um, then wandering around the hills of Alaska for the, or the mountains of Alaska, rather, for uh, for 10 days. And if I don't get to pull the trigger, um, you know, that, that that's everything that I want out of that hunt. So one day. That's my, uh, my favorite thing is fly-ins, right? We did a fly-in into uh, the Frank Church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it just getting you. There's something about getting left by a plane, and there's no way of getting out. It's just there's something awesome about it, especially mm. Alaska. We're supposed to go do a caribou hunt, put our deposits in. It's like a, I think it was like thirty-eight hundred dollars to do the hunt, and we put our two thousand dollar deposits in. And then uh, they put some law in place where they canceled the hunting in those certain units because mm. of some native thing for the natives only. Oh, yeah. They kept our deposits, won't give them back to us, and <laughs> it's we're perpetually going on this hunt every year now. It's been two years and it hasn't happened. So um, that's a bummer. But there's something about being dropped off in the middle of grizzly bear country, you know, that's just sexy. <laughs> you know, it just sounds, it sounds awesome. Yeah, yep. Yeah, no. You All are right. very small when you go to. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. And the uh, that's one of the famous Jack O'Connor quotes, isn't it, about sheep hunting? Um, something along the lines of uh, after after man's first sheep hunt, he he decides there and then whether he is a sheep hunter for life or never again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It's, it seems to me that everyone who does it says it is worth it. Mm-hmm. I just talked to a guy today. He was in camp. He just spent 14 days and he didn't kill a sheep. 
And he's like, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. And so he spent that money. They don't, you don't get your money back if you don't pull the trigger. No, no. And you know, and that's it. There's no, it's hunting. There's no guarantees. If it was a guarantee, it'd be called shooting and not hunting. Yep. And he he said it was the adventure of a lifetime. He can't wait to go back. It was worth it. And uh, he was just we were just talking. It was, it was neat to hear that. It's great to be able to hear all these stories, from people all around the world, and you know, using our stuff and getting to live through them and hear their stories. Mm. Well, Drew, I'm I'm sure we could keep talking hunting for a few more hours, mate. And like I said, I'm <laughs> I'm mindful of your time, and um, I really appreciated. Um, yeah, 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 coming on board. Um, and like I said, I'll be I'll put some links into uh, into the show notes for for everything. But uh, what's the best way for people to find you and people to reach out to you? Uh, website trashusa.com. Uh, email you can email me directly at drew at that's d-r-e-w at tricerusa.com and then uh instagram obviously is probably the best place to find us and see what we're doing all the new products coming out that's uh tricer usa on instagram mm-hmm. and then same thing on facebook tricer usa on facebook as well so hit us up there and uh let me know if you have any questions we'll take care of you yeah all right well excited to see what um what else Drew and Tricer are bringing out, and um, we'll certainly be giving uh, uh, the Modern Hunter uh, a plug in the show notes too. But um, uh, I am planning on reaching out to them in the future for um, to come on the podcast as a guest. So um, um, no doubt we'll we'll talk more about your gear then too. Yeah, well, with the stuff coming out in the spring is going to blow people's minds. Let's mm. put it that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. The stuff coming out in the spring is going to be. It's, it's going to add to what we're doing. So we're not going to replace what we're doing. The stuff we're making right now is going to continue to happen and it has a place. This new stuff is for a different purpose, but also for hunting. And it is going to, it's going to be uh, groundbreaking. It's cool stuff. Yeah. Great. All right. I can't wait. All right. Thank you, man. It's nice right. talking to you. Hey, thank you for listening in. If you'd like to contact me for a chat, pass on any feedback or have some ideas for future podcasts please reach out to me on instagram at australian underscore hunting underscore backcountry or email australian.hunting.backcountry at outlook.com.au and now though please look after yourselves and your mates